Okay, I think I got it. <laughs> All right, I think it's working. All right, uh, hello everybody. Welcome. This is Just Human number two hundred and fourteen, and it's been a while. Um, I think I remember how to set all this up, and I think it's working okay. But if there is an issue, please let me know because I haven't um, I haven't set things things up like this since the last time Trump got indicted. <laughs> the last time we did a show, uh, Trump had just been indicted, and here we are with a new one. And I'm I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, we've been looking forward to it um, over on well on this show, but then also over on Badlands. We've been talking about it and on Defected and on the Devolution Power Hour. Been saying that this was coming and uh, explaining reasons why we were getting more and more excited about it. And here we are. So we have a 45 page indictment. It's four counts. We're going to read the whole thing, and I'll give commentary where I where I feel compelled to. And, um, yeah, that's the, that's going to be the show. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you. Everybody who has done a rumble rant. Really appreciate that bear BL. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, really appreciate that. And, uh, Cindy, thank you very much. Send D. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's good to be back. Razor sharp. Thank you also. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to be on right now. I really would have preferred to go live tomorrow morning, but, um, I can't make that work. I'm on dad duty all day tomorrow. Um, I'll listen, the reason I haven't been live for the past like two months, almost it's basically been two months. Uh, it's cause like I said, um, we had a lot of traveling to do this summer and my wife started a new job that we're really excited about. Um, but it's meant a massive change with just how the household runs. It's just big, big, uh, a big difference in, in our, our, our daily lives. So, uh, but a very good thing. Um, but it's kind of, it's just messed up our schedule and stuff. And, um, we're trying to get used to it and then also give the kids a good summer. So, but I should be back to a regular schedule. I'll definitely back, be back to a regular Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule after labor day, because both boys will be in school then. Um, but starting, um, next week, I expect I'm going to be going live at least one or two times a week, but I can't, I don't know exactly what that schedule is going to be because when my wife is working, I'm taking care of the kids. And then when she's not working, I can hand them over to her. So, um, husband, wife, just being a team with the kids, somebody has got to make sure that they don't hurt each other. Um, Okay. So anyway, that's where I've been, and uh, it's good to be back. I've had a fantastic summer. I hope you guys have too. We did a, more traveling this summer than we ever have in our lives. It's it's been it's been great to see the country. It's been really and it's been really good to go on those family trips. You can't. Um, I like buying some things, but uh, experiences are my favorite purchases, and we've we've managed to buy some really good ex experiences this this summer. So okay. Easy three cents. Thank you very much for the rant. Did I catch that Senator Menendez is in big legal trouble for corruption again, along with trophy? No, I did not. I missed that. I already knew there was some, but is th this is new within like the past week or so. I hadn't seen that. I'll have to look. Okay. So, um, this is the new docket for uh, this indictment that came down today. Now, like with other ones, Trump knew it was coming and said it. He's been saying for a while that he's going to catch another indictment. 
And then this afternoon he posted that, yeah, I'm told I'm about to get indicted again. And around 5 p.m., an indictment is going to come out against your favorite president is what he said. And sure enough, he was right. He was right. Um, I need to go over to my profile to show you. Uh, but Kyle Cheney was for Politico, um, was over at the at the federal courthouse where the grand jury was meeting, giving minute my minute updates. And at 514 p.m., actually update this one right here came after. So this was right after five. So like about 510 p.m. He said, yep, there's a single sealed indictment. It's arrived. Trump knew. Trump always knows. He always knows. And he's got a statement about it, too. I want to go back. Where did his page go? I need to. I want to go back to his page. There we go. I want to stay on this page because we're going to check it before the end of the show to see if he's had any other comments. Uh, the first thing, the, the real point he's making right now, and I saw Don Jr. also make the same point. I think this is part of the narrative that Trump team is deploying is to say, why didn't this ridiculous case come two and a half years ago, which would have been early 2021? Um, there might be something to why he's specifically saying that. I mean, it makes sense. Why didn't they bring this case two and a half years ago, right in the early 2021? Um, and he's saying it's because they wanted to wait until his campaign had started and he was doing well during the campaign to bring it. Therefore, election interference makes sense on the surface. That layer of the narrative makes perfect sense just as is. But some of us are wondering if there's a little bit more to this. If there's a little bit more to this two and a half years ago thing, part of me thinks that it's because all the information that is being used to indict him, DOJ has had for two and a half years. And um, he's making the point they've just been, they really have been holding on to it. But don't forget, Trump made the special counsel happen. Trump made this special counsel a thing because he declared he was running for president way early. And it forced Merrick Garland to appoint a special counsel. In other words, Trump wanted a special counsel. All right, so here's the indictment. We got four counts, 45 pages. Let's get to it. I think this coffee's really hot. Hopefully it doesn't, I just, hopefully it doesn't burn me. Almost too hot to drink. Okay. Indictment. The grand jury charges that at all times. Material this indictment, honor about the dates and approximate below. The defendant, Donald J. Trump, was the 45th president of the United States and a candidate for re-election in 2020. The defendant lost the 2020 presidential election. Despite having lost, the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following election day on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been an outcome determinative fraud in the election, and that he had actually won. Those claims were false, and the defendant knew that they were false. Um, one thing that's going to annoy me with this indictment is that it's actually scanned, and I can't highlight it, which I love to do. I can't highlight these words. I can't control F the document, and I can't highlight it to emphasize things I want to. But if I could, I would I would highlight this, this sentence right here. And maybe I should give a bit of a disclaimer don't react to this stuff about spread lies and Trump lost and these allegations of election fraud are false. Don't get, don't get caught up reacting to this language. 
Um, don't think about it that way. Instead, think about this as in how are they going to prove all of this in court to a jury? How are they going to prove these things um, about what Trump did and did not do and what he was thinking and what his motives were? So like right here, he says these claims were false, meaning the claims of election fraud were false. Well, how is he going to prove that those election fraud claims were false? And he says the defendant knew that they were false. How is Jack Smith going to prove that Trump knew the, the election claims were false? Also, how can Trump prove that they were not false and they were in fact true. I think that's where this is headed. But the defendant repeated and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger and erode public faith in the administration of the election. The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as by seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states or filing lawsuits challenging ballots and procedures. Indeed, in many cases, the defendant did pursue these methods of contesting the election results. His efforts to change the outcome in any state through recounts, audits, or legal challenges were uniformly unsuccessful. Shortly after Election Day, the defendant also pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting election results. In so doing, the defendant perpetrated three criminal conspiracies. A, a conspiracy to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government in violation of 18 U.S.C. 371. B, a conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th congressional proceeding in which the collected results of the presidential election are counted and certified. He's calling this the certification proceeding. So the joint session of Congress on January 6th, that's in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1512K. And C, a conspiracy against the right to vote and to have one's vote counted in violation of 18 U.S.C. 241. So a conspiracy to defraud, a conspiracy to obstruct on January 6th, the joint session of Congress, and a conspiracy against people's right to vote and to have their vote counted. Each of these conspiracies, which built on the widespread mistrust the defendant was creating through pervasive and destabilizing lies about election fraud, targeted a bedrock function of the United States federal government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. Count 1. Conspiracy to defraud. The allegations contained in paragraphs 1 through 4 of this indictment are re-alleged and fully incorporated here by reference. The conspiracy from on or about November 14th, 2020 through on or about January 20th, 2021, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with co-conspirators, known and unknown to the grand jury, 
to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the unlawful, the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government. Purpose of the conspiracy. The purpose of the conspiracy was to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election by using knowingly false claims of election fraud to obstruct the federal government function by which those results are collected, counted, and certified. The co-conspirators. The defendant enlisted co-conspirators to assist him in his criminal efforts to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election and retain power. Among these were... And I know who almost all of them are, I'm pretty sure. Co-conspirator one, an attorney who was willing to spread knowingly false claims and pursue strategies that the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign attorneys would not. I believe this to be Rudy Giuliani. Co-conspirator two, an attorney who devised and attempted to implement a strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role overseeing the certification proceeding to obstruct the certification of the presidential election. I believe this to be John Eastman. He's conspirator two, co-conspirator two. Co-conspirator three, an attorney whose unfounded claims of election fraud the defendant privately acknowledged to others sounded crazy. Nonetheless, the defendant embraced and publicly amplified co-conspirator three's disinformation. I believe this to be Sidney Powell. Co-conspirator four, a Justice Department official who worked on the civil matters and who, with the defendant, attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud. I believe this to be uh, Jeffrey Clark. Co-conspirator 5, an attorney who assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. I believe this to be, I think his first name is Kevin, Kevin Cheesebro. Um, last name's definitely Cheatsbro, but I think it's Kevin is his first name. Um, co-conspirator six. This is the one I'm not sure about yet. A political consultant who helped implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. I am not sure who co-conspirator six is. Um, I've kind of been thinking, um, I mean, that's being none I've seen tons of names thrown around. Mike Roman, uh, Bannon, Roger Stone. Um, Jason Miller. I've seen a lot of names thrown around. I'm not, I'm not sure which one it is. It doesn't mention that this person is an attorney. Um, and it calls him a political consultant. I guess you could call, I guess you could call Bannon that. Bannon had Eastman on his show a lot, which is why I kind of lean towards Bannon. Um, cause he really pushed that scheme but um i'm not entirely sure that that's who it is and i've what looking around i've some other people that are sleuthing this uh, no one's really sure who co-conspirator six is i've seen about a half dozen names tossed out but we'll try to figure it out so co-conspirators are rudy john eastman Sidney powell jeffrey clark and um I believe it's Kevin Cheesebro. All right, the federal government function. The federal government function by which the results of the election for president of the United States are collected, counted, and certified was established through the Constitution and the Electoral Count Act, ECA, a federal law enacted in 1887. 
The Constitution provided that individuals called electors select the president and that each state determined for itself how to appoint the electors apportioned to it. Through state laws, each of the 50 states and the District of Columbia chose to select their electors based on the popular vote in the state. After Election Day, the ECA required each state to formally determine or ascertain the electors who would represent the state's voters by casting electoral votes on behalf of the candidate who had won the popular vote and required the executive of each state to certify to the federal government the identities of those electors. Then, on a date set by the ECA, each state's ascertained electors were required to meet and collect the results of the presidential election, that is, to cast electoral votes based on their state's popular vote, and to send their electoral votes, along with the state's executive certification, that they were the state's legitimate electors, to the United States Congress to be counted and certified in an official proceeding. Finally, the Constitution and ECA required that on the 6th of January following Election Day, the Congress meet in a joint session for a certification proceeding, presided over by the Vice President as the Senate, President of the Senate, presided over by the Vice President as President of the Senate, to count the electoral votes, resolve any objections, and announce the result, thus certifying the winner of the presidential election as President-elect. This federal government function, from the point of ascertainment to the certification, is foundational to the United States democratic process and until 2021 had operated in a peaceful and orderly manner for more than 130 years, arguably. The defendant's manner and means, the defendant's conspiracy to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function uh, man, uh, this is really annoying. So instead of calling the joint session of Congress or the counting of the electors, Jack Smith is calling the January 6th joint session and what they were doing there, quote, the federal government function. So every time I read the federal government function, thank January 6th joint session of Congress. All right. Through the following manner and means. A. The defendant and co-conspirators used knowingly false claims of election fraud to get state legislators and election officials to subvert the legitimate election results and change electoral votes for the defendant's opponent, Joseph R. Biden Jr., to electoral votes for the defendant. That is, on the pretext of baseless fraud claims, the defendant pushed officials in certain states to ignore the popular vote, disenfranchise millions of voters, dismiss legitimate electors, and ultimately cause the ascertainment of and voting by illegitimate electors in favor of the defendant. B, the defendant and co-conspirators organized fraudulent slates of electors in seven targeted states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, attempting to mimic the procedures that the legitimate electors were supposed to follow under the Constitution and other federal and state laws. This included causing the fraudulent electors to meet on the day appointed by federal law on which legitimate electors were gathered to work together and cast their votes, cast fraudulent votes for the defendant, and signed certificates falsely representing that they were legitimate electors. Some fraudulent electors were tricked into participating based on the understanding that their votes would be used only if the defendant succeeded in outcome-determinative lawsuits within their state, which the defendant never did. The defendant and co-conspirators then caused these fraudulent electors to transmit their false certificates 
to the vice president and other government officials to be counted at the certification proceeding on January 6th. The defendant and co-conspirators, this is C, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to use the power and authority of the Justice Department to conduct sham election crime investigations and to send a letter to the targeted states that falsely claimed that the Justice Department had identified significant concerns that they may have been impacted that may have impacted the election outcome. That sought to advance the defendant's fraudulent elector plan by using the Justice Department's authority to falsely present the fraudulent electors as a valid alternative to the legitimate electors. And that urged, on behalf of the Justice Department, the targeted state legislatures to convene to create the opportunity to choose the fraudulent electors over the legitimate electors. D. The defendant and co-conspirators attempted to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the January 6th certification proceeding to fraudulently alter the election results. First, using knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to convince the vice president to use the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate electoral votes to state legislators for review rather than counting them. When that failed on the morning of January 6th, the defendant and co-conspirators repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud to gathered supporters, falsely told them that the vice president had the authority to and might alter the election results, and directed them to the Capitol to obstruct the certification proceeding and exert pressure on the vice president to take the fraudulent actions he had previously refused. After it became public on the afternoon of January 6th that the vice president would not fraudulently alter the election results, a large and angry crowd, including many individuals whom the defendant had deceived into believing the vice president could and might change the election results, violently attacked the Capitol and halted the proceeding. As violence ensued, the defendant and co-conspirators exploited the disruption by redoubling efforts to levy false claims of election fraud and convince members of Congress to further delay the certification based on those claims. All right, this section right here reminds me of something I wrote earlier today in reply to Music and Fiction. Earlier today, Music and Fiction was asking me about Matt DiPerno and the other, the rep, ex or former rep in uh, Michigan, who have been indicted. I haven't read that indictment. I haven't seen it posted anywhere. I've looked for it, but I haven't found it. I don't think it's public yet, or at least it wasn't last I looked. But this is what I think of the um, alternate fake elector scheme. I believe it was a trap for Trump by the GOPE. And I've said that for a long time. I've talked about the fake electors several times on this show. Um, I've shared articles about them. I always get pushback about them because people try to tell me they weren't fake or it was perfectly legal. Um, there is a legal way to do it, but I don't think they followed the legal way to do it. Um, now, I'm not I'm not passing judgment on any of the people who signed up to be electors. I mean, even Jack Smith in this indictment says that some of them were uh, they were told it was going to go a certain way. You know, we'll use these if these other efforts are successful. So I do think that they were um, some of these electors. Heck, maybe all of these people who signed up to be the the alternate slash fake electors. Uh, maybe they all of them are victims of this this trap. They were all entrapped in it. I don't I don't know. 
But in my opinion, and at the time, I got caught up in it too, guys. So I'm not without fault here. At the time, probably like y'all, I was desperate for anything that offered a pathway for Trump to stay in office. And so I was um I was very interested in this alternate elector theory thing that John Eastman was talking about. Um and on January 6th, I was hopeful that Mike Pence was going to do something. Um and he did. Um Mike Pence did. He allowed the objections. And um, still to this day, it confuses me why people are so mad at Mike Pence just a little bit. But this alternate fake elector scheme, I see it as a trap by the GOPE, especially and the swamp, because I think what they realized was that. Now that the, the election had been stolen from Trump and they definitely played a part in it. It wasn't just the Democrats that stole the election from Trump. It was the it was the Uniparty. It was the Democrats and the Republicans um, who stole the election from Trump in 2020. And I think what the GOP establishment did to make sure he couldn't run again was their idea. I think they were thinking, OK, the Ukraine impeachment failed. Our Russia hoax failed. A bunch of other things have failed. We did manage to steal the election from him. So let's come up with a scheme where he tries to stay in power, let's let's offer to him all of these pathways for him to stay in power and try and encourage him to take these paths because it's a trap. We're going to trap him into doing something illegal and that'll prevent him from running for president again, was their thinking, I believe. And uh, that's what this fake elector scheme was. In my opinion. Now, it'd be really interesting to see what um, what the rest of this indictment says. How did Trump push this alternate elector thing? Because I don't remember Trump um, pushing the alternate elector scheme. I remember John Eastman doing it, and I remember Steve Bannon. But I don't remember Trump doing it. So we'll see. The defendant, his co-conspirators, oh yeah, the defendant's knowledge of the falsity of his election fraud. The defendant, his co-conspirators, and their agents made knowingly false claims that there had been outcome-determinative fraud in the 2020 presidential election. These prolific lies about election fraud included dozens of specific claims that there had been substantial fraud in certain states, such as that large numbers of dead, non-resident, non-citizen, or otherwise ineligible voters had cast ballots, or that voting machines had changed votes for the defendant to votes for Biden. These claims were false, and the defendant knew that they were false. In fact, the defendant was notified repeatedly that his claims were untrue often by the people on whom he relied for candidate advice on important matters and who were best positioned to know the facts, and he deliberately disregarded the truth. For instance, A, the defendant's vice president, who personally stood to gain by remaining in office as part of the defendant's ticket and whom the defendant asked to study fraud allegations, told the defendant that he had seen no evidence of outcome-determinative fraud. Okay, well, he hadn't seen it. He said he hadn't seen it, right? <laughs> B, the senior leaders of the Justice Department, appointed by the defendant and responsible for investigating credible allegations of election crimes, 
told the defendant on multiple occasions that various allegations of fraud were unsupported. Okay. C, the director of national intelligence, the defendant's principal advisor of intelligence matters related to national security, disabused the defendant of the notion that the intelligence community's findings regarding foreign interference would change the outcome of the election. Okay, now that's narrow. The DNI told Trump that the intelligence community's findings regarding foreign interference didn't change the outcome of the election. Okay, so that just means that China didn't hack the election system and cause it to go from Trump to Biden, right? Like That's a really narrow piece of information. It's saying that Ratcliffe let Trump know, yeah, it wasn't a foreign actor who changed the outcome of the election. We don't have any evidence of that. Okay. D, the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, whose existence the defendant signed into law to protect the nation's cybersecurity infrastructure from attack, joined an official multi-agency statement that there was no evidence any voting system had been compromised and that declared the 2020 election, quote, the most secure in American history, end quote. Days later, after the CISA director, whom the defendant had appointed, announced publicly that election security experts were in agreement that claims of computer-based election fraud were unsubstantiated, the defendant fired him. Okay, Scaramucci model. Um, senior E, senior White House attorneys selected by the defendant to provide him candidate advice informed the defendant that there was no evidence of outcome-determinative election fraud and told him that his presidency would end on Inauguration Day in 2021. F. Senior staffers on the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign, defendant's campaign or the campaign, whose sole mission was the defendant's re-election, told the defendant on November 7th, 2020, that he had only 5 to 10% chance of prevailing in the election and that success was contingent on the defendant winning ongoing vote counts or litigation in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. Within a week of that assessment, the defendant lost in Arizona meaning he had lost the election. G, state legislators and officials, many of whom were the defendant's political allies, had voted for him and wanted him to be reelected, repeatedly informed the defendant that his claims of fraud in their states were unsubstantiated or false and resisted his pressure to act based upon them. And finally, state and federal courts, the neutral arbiters responsible for ensuring fair and even-handed administration of election laws, <laughs> rejected every outcome-determinative post-election lawsuit filed by the defendant, his co-conspirators, and his allies, providing the defendant real-time notice that his allegations were meritless. Okay, that one is so disingenuous. That one is so disingenuous. None of those court cases were ever, ever, what was it, 80-something of them? Was it like 80 court cases uh, having to do with the 2020 election? And they were brought, not all of them were brought by Trump. Um, in the end, didn't Trump only himself only bring like four? I can't remember right now. Uh, but none of those, none of those lawsuits ever made it to a court where they could be heard on their merits. It was all process stuff. It was all... Um, it, it, what was it? Uh, no standing or latches and like, uh, all sorts of technical, it was all sorts of technicalities. They, they all got tossed out. 
they never got a hearing on what the uh, what the what the lawsuits were actually saying and what the merits and the evidence was. So throwing this in here as determinative for Trump and that Trump should have taken that and been like, oh, well, then I guess the election is fine. That's just that's just disingenuous. All of these are kind of disingenuous. Um, none of the none none of these points right here, A through H. None of these things by themselves or even or as a like altogether, they don't do anything to prove that Trump knew his claims of election fraud were false. All right. The defendant widely disseminated his false claims of election fraud for months, despite the fact that he knew and in many cases had been informed directly that they were not true. The defendant's knowingly false statements were integral, integral to his criminal plans to defeat the federal government function. I hate that he is calling it that. Obstruct the certification and interfere with others' right to vote and had have their votes counted. He made these knowingly false claims throughout the post-election time period including those below that he made immediately before the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. A. The defendant insinuated that more than 10,000 dead voters had voted in Georgia. Just four days earlier, Georgia's Secretary of State had explained to the defendant that this was false. Ah, well, you know, Raffensperger is a, is a great source of information. Um, isn't he also under investigation by Jack Smith and Fannie Willis? So I don't know if Jack Smith really wants to use that or maybe he does. Maybe he does. <laughs> the defendant B, the defendant asserted that there had been 205,000 more votes than voters in Pennsylvania. The defendant's acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general had explained to him that this was false. C, the defendant said that there had been a suspicious vote dump in Detroit, Michigan. The defendant's attorney general had explained to the defendant that this was false and the defendant's allies in Michigan state legislature, the Speaker of the House of Representatives and the Majority Leader of the Senate, had publicly announced that there was no evidence of substantial fraud in the state. I should try this excuse with my wife sometime. You know, if my wife asked me if I ate the last piece of cake that was in the fridge that she was saving, I should just say, you have no evidence. You have no evidence of that. That's going to be my answer from now on. It's going to be like, you don't have evidence that could substantiate that claim. I've not seen any evidence of that. All right. D, the defendant claimed that there had been tens of thousands of double votes and other fraud in Nevada. The Nevada Secretary of State had previously rebutted the defendant's fraud claims by publicly posting a facts versus myths document, explaining that Nevada judges had reviewed and rejected them. And the Nevada Supreme Court had rendered a decision denying such claims. E, the defendant said that more than 30,000 non-citizens had voted in Arizona. The defendant's own campaign manager had explained to him that such claims were false. And the Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, who had supported the defendant in the election, had issued a public statement that there was no evidence of substantial fraud in Arizona. No evidence, guys. F, the defendant asserted that voting machines in various contested states had switched votes from the defendant to Biden. 
the defendant's attorney general, acting attorney general, and acting deputy attorney general all had explained to him that this was false, and numerous recounts and audits had confirmed the accuracy of the voting machines. I mean, if you just do the same thing twice, yeah, it's, you're going to get the same result. So, right. The criminal agreement and acts to affect the object of the conspiracy. The defendant's use of deceit to get state officials to subvert the legitimate election results and change electoral votes. Shortly after Election Day, which fell on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant launched his criminal scheme. On November 13th, the defendant's campaign attorneys conceded in court that he had lost the vote count in the state of Arizona, meaning based on the assessment of the defendant's campaign advisors had given him just a week earlier, the defendant had lost the election. So the next day, the defendant turned to co-conspirator one, that would be Rudy Giuliani, whom he announced would spearhead his efforts going forward to challenge the election results. From that point on, the defendant and his co-conspirators executed a strategy to use knowing deceit in the targeted states to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function, including as described below. It really hasn't set in to me. Like, it really hasn't set in that Rudy Giuliani has, is going to be indicted. Like, these co-conspirators are going to be indicted, right? So, I don't know why they weren't all indicted with this one. But he's indicting Trump first, and then, I mean, the co-conspirators know who they are. Um, so are we going to get indictments for all of them here pretty soon? I don't know, but it's it, thinking about Rudy being indicted, that's, um, wow. The month of August is hot. From that point on, the defendant, okay, blah, 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 federal government function, Arizona. On November 13th, 2020, the defendant had a conversation with his campaign manager who informed him that a claim that had been circulating that a substantial number of non-citizens had voted in Arizona was false. <laughs> okay. On November 22nd, eight days before Arizona's attorney... Arizona's governor certified the ascertainment of the state's legitimate electors based on the popular vote. The defendant and co-conspirator one Rudy called the speaker of the Arizona house of representatives and made knowingly false claims of election fraud aimed at interfering with the ascertainment of and voting by Arizona's electors as follows. A, the defendant and co-conspirator one Rudy falsely asserted among other things that a substantial number of non-citizens, non-residents and dead people had voted fraudulently in Arizona. The Arizona House Speaker asked Rudy Giuliani for evidence of the claims, which Rudy did not have, but claimed he would provide. Rudy never did so. The defendant and co-conspirator, Rudy, asked the Arizona House Speaker to call the legislature into session to hold a hearing based on their claims of election fraud. The Arizona House Speaker refused, stating that doing so would require a two-thirds vote of its members and he would not allow it without actual evidence of fraud. The defendant and Rudy asked the Arizona House Speaker to use the legislature to circumvent the process by which legitimate electors would be ascertained for Biden based on the popular vote and replace those electors with a new slate for the defendant. The Arizona House Speaker refused, responding that the suggestion was beyond anything he had ever heard of or thought of as something within his authority. 
On December 1st, co-conspirator one, Rudy Giuliani, met with the Arizona House Speaker. When the Arizona House Speaker again asked Rudy for evidence for the of the outcome determinative election fraud, that's a key qualifier here. And the defendant had been claiming Rudy responded with words to the effect of, quote, we don't have the evidence, but we have lots of theories. Okay. On December 4th, the Arizona House Speaker issued a public statement that said, in part, no election is perfect, and if there were evidence of illegal votes or an improper count, then Arizona law provides a process to contest the election, a lawsuit under state law. But the law does not authorize the legislature to reverse the results of an election. As a conservative Republican, I don't like the results of the presidential election. I voted for President Trump and worked hard to reelect him. But I cannot and will not entertain a suggestion that we violate current law to change the outcome of a certified election. I and my fellow legislators swore an, legislators swore an oath to support the U.S. Constitution and the Constitution and the laws of the state of Arizona. It would violate that oath, the basic principles of the Republican government, and the rule of law if we attempted to nullify the people's vote based on unsupported theories of fraud. Under the laws that we wrote and voted upon, Arizona voters choose who wins, and our system requires that their choice be respected. On the morning of January 4th, 2021, co-conspirator 2, who I believe to be John Eastman, called the Arizona House Speaker to urge him to use a majority of the legislature to, de to decertify the state's legitimate electors. Arizona's validity. Valid, Arizona's validly ascertained electors had voted three weeks earlier and sent their votes to Congress, which was scheduled to count those votes in Biden's favor in just two days' time at the January 6th certification proceeding. When the Arizona House Speaker explained that state investigations had uncovered no evidence of substantial fraud in the state, John Eastman conceded that he, quote, didn't know enough about facts on the ground, end quote, in Arizona but nonetheless told the Arizona House Speaker to decertify and, quote, let the courts sort it out. The Arizona House Speaker refused, stating that he would not play with the oath he had taken to uphold the United States Constitution and Arizona law. On January, okay, this one right here. All right, this is like the first thing I think I've read in this where I'm like, oh, okay, that's an overt act. Like John Eastman calling the Speaker of the Arizona House saying, hey, do oops, do something to decertify, decertify your state's electors. So I like that's I can under I can get there on that. Like, ooh, that's not that's not too good right there. There could be some crime there. Looks like he was trying to encourage this guy to commit a crime. But this other stuff we've been reading that he that against Trump. It's like Trump was wrong because so-and-so said a thing. And then Trump was wrong here because another so-and-so said a thing. You get that? Like, all of this is Trump knew all these claims were false because his campaign manager said so. His campaign manager said, you're... Like, like it's just... This is a shitty indictment, guys. <laughs> this is a, this is shitty. Like, how are you going to get up there and say? It's literally just this guy told him. <laughs> yeah, 
lobbying hq lion uh good evening i like that i call it lobbying like that's another thing like basically they're all trying to lobby each other right so them talking to each other and disagreeing on whether the 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 evidence of fraud rose to something to be determinative that's that's the basis for these charges okay on the morning of January 4th, 2021, Rudy called the Arizona House. Okay. Or Eastman called the Arizona House. On January 6th, the defendant publicly repeated the knowingly false claim that 36,000 non-citizens had voted in Arizona. By the way, are y'all ready to find out the truth about January 6th? Because that's where this is headed. That's where That's exactly where we're headed. Is we're going to find out exactly what happened on January 6th and who was behind it. It's going to be the swamp. It's going to be the swamp. And I feel my sense has been going on for a while. And I started typing this out about three, the other day, the other day I typed something out like three times and deleted it. And it was that basically to the effect of my sense is some GOP establishment types are going to get indicted soon for January 6th. And while I'm not saying these co-conspirators right here are GOP establishment, but I think we just took a massive leap closer to getting to them. The I'm cheering for some GOP establishment swampy Republicans to get arrested to get indicted and arrested by Jack Smith because the Democrats will cheer for that. And they'll be so excited about these swampy Republicans getting indicted and arrested over election interference. And it'll be, it'll be a template and it'll be a boomerang that comes right back on them when some Democrats are arrested, but it needs to be Republicans first. It needs to be Republicans first and then, then get Democrats after in order to get most Americans on board. All right, so Georgia. On November 16th, 2020, on the defendant's behalf, his executive assistant sent co-conspirator three, so that'd be Dan Scavino, right? Executive assistant, I think they're talking about Dan Scavino, sent co-conspirator three, that'd be Sidney Powell. It may not be Dan, maybe Cleta Mitchell. Not sure. Uh, sent co-conspirator three, Sidney Powell, and others a document containing bullet points critical of a certain voting machine company. Hmm. Writing, quote, see attached. Please include as is or almost as is in lawsuit. Co-conspirator three responded nine minutes later, writing, quote, it must go in all suits in Georgia and Pennsylvania immediately with a fraud claim that requires the entire election to be set aside in those states and machines impounded for nonpartisan professional inspection. On November 25th, co-conspirator three, again, I believe that is Sidney Powell, filed a lawsuit against the governor of Georgia, falsely alleging, quote, massive election fraud accomplished through the voting machine company's election software and hardware. Before the lawsuit was even filed, the defendant retweeted a post promoting it. The defendant did this despite the fact that when he had discussed co-conspirator three's far-fetched public claims regarding the voting machine company in private with advisors, the defendant had conceded that they were unsupported and that co-conspirator three, Sidney Powell, sounded quote-unquote crazy. 
Sidney Powell's Georgia lawsuit was dismissed on December 7th. So Trump is guilty. No, or I should say Trump is being charged on this right here because he retweeted Sidney Powell. He retweeted Sidney Powell. Guess we're all getting arrested because I'm pretty sure everybody watching this show <laughs> retweeted Sidney Powell's election lawsuit. <laughs> get ready, guys. We're all about to get hit with conspiracy charges. On December 3rd, co-conspirator one orchestrated a presentation to a judiciary subcommittee of the Georgia State Senate, Rudy with the intention of misleading state senators into blocking the ascertainment of legitimate electors. During the presentation, which was a pretty badass presentation, I gotta admit, A, an agent of the defendant and co-conspirator one falsely claimed that more than 10,000 dead people voted in Georgia. That afternoon, a senior advisor to the defendant told the defendant's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, through text messages, quote, just an FYI. A campaign lawyer and his team verified that the 10,000-plus supposed dead people voting in Georgia is not accurate. It was alleged in Rudy's hearing today. The senior advisor clarified that he believed the actual number was 12. I'm going to go ahead and bet that the number of dead people that voted in Georgia in 2020 is a number greater than 12. Much greater. Another B, another agent of the defendant and co-conspirator played, co-conspirator one, played a misleading excerpt of a video recording of ballot counting at State Farm Arena in Atlanta and insinuated that it showed election workers counting suitcases of illegal ballots. Okay. The time has finally come for me to uh, address the State Farm Arena video. Give me a moment. I have wanted to bring this up with y'all for a long time and go over um, that video. Um, let's see. Because this paragraph right here is accurate. That's okay. Let me see. I got to make sure I have the full video so I can show you why it's, it's fair to call it, um, what do you call it? Misleading. Yeah. It's fair to call it a misleading excerpt. Oh, show me the whole video. Please have the whole video. Hold up. Okay. Yeah, it's that guy. Okay. I'd have to, sorry, sorry for the pause, but it's going to be worth this. It's going to be worth it 
Um, He's definitely got it. There it is. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so I've wanted to bring this up for a long time, uh, but people people get really upset about things, you know? Um, so I, it hasn't... I haven't wanted to jump over into it, but everybody needs to see what conservative Con Inc., channels and shows didn't show us back in 2020 and 2021. They didn't, they didn't, or not any that I was watching. They didn't show us this. So this is the state farm arena at 5:23 AM. And as you can tell, the floor is wet. There's water falling from the ceiling right there. You can see the water is falling down. There's like a, it actually looks like there's a bucket right here. Like somebody put a bucket to catch some of the water and it's overflowing. But it is true that there was a water leak there. It is literally true that there was a big water leak in the State Farm Arena that morning, and they moved stuff around, and then they had to clean up the video, or clean up the room, and clean up the water, and then they brought stuff back out, and they did their counting. But they had a late start to that day. Do you remember how in the excerpt that was popularly uh, shared around, um, they showed they're still counting the ballots at night, and then they tell the the observers that they're shutting down for the night, and the election observers leave, and the reporters leave, and um, then the guy running it comes back out and says, no, 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 you can't go home. We still have more counting to do. Um, part of what was going on there is that they had a late start to that day, and they worked their full time. Like they were supposed to count for so many hours, but they got started an hour and a half late, if I remember right correctly. Um, and so because of that, after they had said they were shutting, it's like they, they everybody was under the impression that they were going to stop at the time they had been told that they were going to stop counting. But because of the late start, it got pushed back. So the reason I'm bringing this up is that it's important to know the entire story, right? Like we know the story of them pulling ballots out of from under the table. There, the, see, there's boxes under the table. This wasn't unusual for this stuff to be under the table. What was unusual is that all of these, uh, the observers were let were told that they were shutting down. All the observers left. The reporter left. There wasn't anybody there to to independently observe the counting. They pulled these out. Now it wasn't abnormal for this stuff to be under the table. But this one had been left there. There were still ballots. And they said, we got these ballots to count. Now, this does nothing. This says nothing against the fraud. This doesn't answer whether or not there was fraud. It has nothing to do with it. But the video clip that was most, most popularly shared around was misleading. Because... It didn't give you the entire picture. It didn't give you all the informa information you needed to more fully understand the situation. The question still remains. How many times did they send the same votes through the same tabulator? And did all of those votes count every time they went through the tabulators? <laughs> That's still the question. 
there was still this major opportunity for massive amounts of fraud. And we don't know whether or not there actually was, this is, this could very well be video of massive election fraud being committed on camera. It could be, it may not be. The problem is we don't know. And that's the whole point of bringing it up. But I wanted to use this opportunity to show you guys this because most people I meet don't know this. They don't know. I mean, there's a, a line of a stream of water pouring down. So it's important to know this information because, and it's also important to know it because liberals and, and, um, fair weather MAGA will say that that video was BS and there really was a water leak and you guys don't know what you're talking about. And they'll use the fact that some of us only have some of the information to then try and invalidate the entire thing. Right? So that's the story. If I remember correctly, it was a, it was a urinal was the, was the issue. So, all right. So this point right here is correct. That's right. Salt muncher. It also, it shows they counted thousands of votes. It looks like without any observers present. That's exactly right. Which was against the law, right? So, it's still a problem. It's still a video worth sharing around, but that the the water leak portion is always left out. Okay. C. Co-conspirator two encouraged the legislators to decertify the state's legitimate electors based on false allegations of election fraud. Also on December 3rd, the defendant issued a tweet amplifying the knowingly false claims made in Rudy Giuliani's presentation in Georgia. Quote, wow, blockbuster testimony taking place right now in Georgia. Ballot stuffing by Dems when Republicans were forced to leave the large counting room. I mean, Republic yeah, the, reserve the, the Republican observers were forced to leave the counting room. That's true. Um, plenty more coming, but this alone leads to an easy win of the state. On December 4th, the Georgia Secretary of State's chief operating officer debunked the claims made at co-conspirator one's presentation to the, the previous day, issuing a, issuing a tweet stating, quote, the 92nd video of election workers at State Farm Arena purporting to show fraud was watched in its entirety, hours, by Georgia Secretary of State investigators. It shows normal ballot processing. Here is the fact check on it. On December 7th, he reiterated during a press conference that the claim that there had been misconduct at State Farm Arena was false. That guy they're talking about was the guy in the video I just showed, that gray-haired dude. I can't remember his name right now. It was a funny name, I think. Uh, whatever. On December 8th, the defendant called the Georgia Attorney General to pressure him to support an election lawsuit filed in the Supreme Court by another state's attorney general. The Georgia Attorney General told the defendant that officials had investigated various claims of election fraud in the state and were not seeing evidence to support them. Also on December 8th, a senior campaign advisor who spoke with the defendant on a daily basis and had informed him on multiple occasions that various fraud claims were untrue expressed frustration that many of co-conspirator one and his legal team's claims could not be substantiated. As early as mid-November, for instance, the senior campaign advisor had informed the defendant that his claims of a large number of dead voters in Georgia were untrue. With respect to the persistent false claim regarding State Farm Arena, on December 8th, the senior campaign advisor wrote in an email, quote, 
when our research and campaign legal team can't back up any of the claims made by our elite strike force legal team, you can see why we're 0-32 on our cases. I'll obviously hustle to help on all fronts, but it's tough to, on my own, um, any of this when it's all, there's a word, but it's tough to own any of, okay, but it's tough to own any of this when it's all just conspiracy shit beamed down from the mothership. Sterling, that's it. Thank you, Patrice. Sterling, Gabe, yeah, it was Sterling. Yeah, I mean, that's it, that's it. On December 10th, four days before Biden's validly ascertained electors were scheduled to cast votes and send them to Congress, co-conspirator one appeared at a hearing before the Georgia House Representatives Government Affairs Committee. Co-conspirator one played the State Farm Arena video game and falsely claimed that it showed, quote, voter fraud right in front of people's eyes and was the tip of the iceberg. Then he cited two election workers by name, basically accusing them of quote, quite obviously surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they were vials of heroin or cocaine and suggesting that they were criminals whose places of work, their homes, should have been searched for evidence of ballots, for evidence of USB ports, for evidence of voter fraud. Thereafter, the two election workers received numerous death threats. On December 15th, the defendant summoned the incoming acting attorney general, the incoming acting deputy attorney general, and others to the Oval Office to discuss allegations of election fraud. During the meeting, the Justice Department officials specifically refuted the defendant's claims about State Farm Arena, explaining to him that the activity shown on the tape um, Rudy had used was benign. On December 23rd, a day after the defendant's chief of staff personally observed the signature verification process at the Cobb County Civic Center and notified the defendant that state election officials were, quote, conducting themselves in an exemplary fashion and would find fraud if it existed, the defendant tweeted that the Georgia officials administering the signature verification process were trying to hide evidence of election fraud and were, quote, terrible people. In a phone call on December 27th, the defendant spoke with the acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general. During the call, the defendant again pressed the unfounded claims regarding State Farm Arena, and the two top Justice Department officials again rebutted the allegations, telling him that the Justice Department had reviewed videotape and interviewed witnesses and had not identified any suspicious conduct. On December 31st, the defendant signed a verification affirming false election fraud allegations made on his behalf in a lawsuit filed in his name against the Georgia governor. In advance of the filing, co-conspirator 2, John Eastman, who was, who was advising the defendant on the lawsuit, acknowledged in an email that he and the defendant had, since signing a previous verification, quote, been made aware that some of the allegations and evidence proffered by the experts has been inaccurate, and that signing a new affirmation, quote, with the knowledge and incorporation by reference, would not be accurate. The defendant and John Eastman caused the defendant's signed verification to be filed nonetheless. On January 2nd, four days before Congress's certification proceeding, the defendant and others called Georgia Secretary of State. During the call, the defendant lied to the Georgia Secretary of State to induce him 
to alter Georgia's popular vote count and call into question the validity of the Biden electors' votes, which had been transmitted to Congress weeks before, including as follows. A. The defendant raised allegations regarding the State Farm Arena video and repeatedly disparaged one of the same election workers that co-conspirator one had maligned on December 10th, using her name almost 20 times and falsely referring to her as a, quote, professional vote scammer and hustler. In response, the Georgia Secretary of State refuted this, quote, you're talking about the State Farm video, and I think it's extremely unfortunate that Rudy or his people, they sliced and diced that video and took it out of context. When the Georgia Secretary of State then offered a link to a video that would disprove Rudy's claims, the defendant responded, quote, I don't care about a link. I don't need it. I have a much. I have a much Georgia Secretary of State. I have a much better link. I have a much Raffensperger. I have a much better link. OK. OK. I bet he does have a better link. B, the defendant asked about rumors that paper ballots cast in the election were being destroyed. And the Georgia Secretary of State's counsel explained to him that that claim had been investigated and was not true. C, the defendant claimed that 5,000 dead people voted in Georgia, causing the Georgia Secretary of State to respond, well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. The actual number were two, two, two people that were dead that voted. And so your information is wrong. It was two. The defendant claimed that thousands of out-of-state voters had cast ballots in Georgia's election, which the Georgia Secretary of State's counsel refuted, explaining, quote, We've been going through each of those as well, and those numbers that we got, the defendant's counsel was just saying they're not accurate. Every, everyone we've been through are people that lived in Georgia, moved to a different state, but then moved back to Georgia legitimately. They moved back years ago. This was not like something just before the election. E, in response to multiple other of the defendant's allegations, the Georgia Secretary of State's counsel told the defendant that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation was examining all such claims and finding no merit to them. And finally, the defendant said that he needed to find 11,780 votes and insinuated that the Georgia Secretary of State and his counsel could be subject to criminal prosecution if they failed to find election fraud as he demanded, stating, quote, and you are going to find that they are, which is totally illegal, it's, it's, it's more illegal for you than it is for them. Because you know what they did, and you're not reporting it. That's a criminal, you know. That's a criminal offense. And you know you can't let that happen. That's a big risk to you and to Georgia's Secretary of State's counsel, your lawyer. Oh, yeah. What was his lawyer's name? Raffensperger's lawyer. Um, it, was, it was friendly. It was a lady. It was a woman. What was her name? I think it was Friendly. I remember. The next day, on January 3rd, the defendant falsely claimed that the Georgia Secretary of State had not addressed Germany. One person, one vote. Thank you. It wasn't Friendly. It was Germany. I got it. That's kind of close. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Germany. That's it. Ryan Germany. Who's the lady I'm thinking of then? Maybe there was a lady who was an assistant for to Ryan Germany and she connected to something else. I don't remember. All right. 
Georgia Secretary of State had not addressed the defense allegations, publicly stating that the Georgia Secretary of State was unwilling or unable to answer questions such as the ballots under the table scam, ballot destruction, out-of-state voters, dead voters, and more. He has no clue. On January 6th, the defendant publicly repeated the knowingly false insinuation that more than 10,300 dead people had voted in Georgia. Michigan. On November 5th, 2020, the defendant claimed that there had been a suspicious dump of votes, purportedly illegitimate ballots, stating, quote, in Detroit, there were hours of unexplained delay in, discover- in delivering many of the votes for counting. The final batch did not arrive until four in the morning. And even though the polls closed at eight o'clock, so they brought it in and the batches came in and nobody knew where they came from. On November 20th, three days before Michigan's governor signed a certificate of ascertainment notifying the federal government that, based on the popular vote, Biden's electors were to represent Michigan's voters, the defendant held a meeting in the Oval Office with the Speaker of the Michigan House of Representatives and the Majority Leader of the Michigan Senate. In the meeting, the defendant raised his false claim, among others, of an illegitimate vote dump in Detroit. In response, the Michigan Senate Majority Leader told the defendant that he had lost Michigan, not because of fraud, but because the defendant had underperformed with certain voter populations in the state. Upon leaving their meeting, the Michigan House Speaker and Michigan Senate Majority Leader issued a statement reiterating this. The Senate and House Oversight Committees are actively engaged in a thorough review of Michigan's elections process, and we have faith in the committee process to provide greater transparency and accountability to our citizens. We have not yet been made aware of any information that would change the outcome of the election in Michigan, and as legislative leaders, we will follow the law and follow the normal process regarding Michigan's electors, just as we have said throughout this election. On December 1st, the defendant raised his Michigan vote dump claim with the Attorney General, who responded that what had occurred in Michigan had been the normal vote counting process that there was no indication of fraud in Detroit. Despite this, the next day, the defendant made a knowingly false statement that in Michigan, quote, at 631 in the morning, a vote dump of 149,772 votes came in unexpectedly. I need more coffee. We were winning by a lot. That batch was received in horror. Nobody knows anything about it. It's corrupt. Detroit is corrupt. I have a lot of friends in Detroit. They know it. But Detroit is totally corrupt. On December 4th, co-conspirator once sent a text message to the Michigan House Speaker reiterating his unsupported claim of election fraud and attempting to get the Michigan House Speaker to assist in re- reversing the ascertainment of the legitimate Biden electors, stating, quote, Looks like Georgia may well hold some factual hearings and change the certification under Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution. As John Eastman explained, they don't have the right to but to do it, but the obligation. They don't just have the right to do it, but the obligation. Help me get this done in Michigan. Similarly, on December 7th, despite still having established no fraud in Michigan, co-conspirator one, Rudy, sent a text message uh, intended for Michigan Senate Majority Leader. Quote, so I need you to pass a joint resolution from the Michigan legislature that states that the election is in dispute. There's an ongoing investigation by the legislator, legislature 
and the elector sent by Governor Whitmer are not the official electors of the state of Michigan and do not fall within the safe harbor deadline of December 8th under Michigan law. Hmm. On December 14th, the day that electors in states across the country were required to vote and submit their votes to Congress, the Michigan House Speaker and Michigan Senate Majority Leader announced that, contrary to the defense request, they would not decertify the legitimate election results or electors in Michigan. The Michigan Senate Majority Leader's public statement included, quote, We have not received evidence of fraud on a scale that would change the outcome of the election in Michigan. Okay. That's a qualifier there. They're not saying we don't have evidence of election fraud. They're saying we don't have evidence of fraud that is so massive it would alter the outcome of the election. But I want to know how much evidence of fraud they actually have. Because what they're saying here is, yeah, we found some evidence of fraud, just not enough. That's what that statement means. We have evidence of fraud. We don't have enough to show that it would change the outcome of the election. We've diligently examined these reports of fraud to the best of our ability. I fought hard for President Trump. Nobody wanted him to win more than me. I think he's done an incredible job, but I love our republic too. I can't fathom risking our norms, traditions, and institutions to pass a resolution retroactively changing the electors for Trump simply because some think there may have been enough widespread fraud to give him the win. That's unprecedented unprecedented for good reason. And that's why there is not enough support in the House to cast a new slate of electors. I fear we'd lose our country forever. This truly would bring mutually assured destruction for every future election in regards to the Electoral College. And I can't stand for that. I won't. On January 6, 2021, the defendant publicly repeated his knowingly false claim regarding an illicit dump of more than 100,000 ballots in Detroit. Pennsylvania. On November 11, 2020, the defendant publicly maligned a Philadelphia city commissioner for stating on news that there was no evidence of widespread fraud in Philadelphia. As a result, the Philadelphia city commissioner and his family received death threats. <laughs> okay, I'm scoffing at this one because um, there was literally a judge who stole his seat, his judgeship through election fraud, and he was indicted in Pennsylvania for it in 2021. So there was enough evidence of widespread voter fraud that a judge actually used, used it to steal a seat and got caught. So Trump's not wrong. He wasn't, he wasn't wrong in saying that there's, there's voter fraud in, in Pennsylvania. On November 25th, the day after Pennsylvania's governor signed a certificate of ascertainment and thus certified to the federal government that Biden's electors were the legitimate electors for the state, Rudy orchestrated an event at a hotel in Gettysburg attended by state legislators. Rudy falsely claimed that Pennsylvania had issued 1.8 million absentee ballots and received 2.5 million in return. In the days thereafter, a campaign staffer wrote internally that Rudy's allegation was, quote, just wrong. And quote, there's no way to defend it. The deputy campaign manager responded, quote, we have been saying this for a while. It's very frustrating. 
yeah, music and fiction, I completely agree with you. They say half the people purporting their support are swampy as hell. Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Georgia speakers, certain AGs, Secretary of State folk claim it, but they showed that they were not. I totally agree with you. Um, so many of these people who are saying that they support Trump, they don't. They're just swamp. They're swamp. They won their elections, didn't they? They won their election in 2020. Hmm. They made sure they won their election in 2020, and they made sure Trump lost. Swamp. Patriot Donnie, great to see you. Thank you very much, sir. Um, you're that's too much, man. That's you do you do way too much for us. <laughs> I appreciate it so much, man. But like, wow, bro. God bless you. Thank you so much, man. Um, Salt Muncher. Salt Muncher says, Zach had a great point last night on baseless. If there isn't going to be enough fraud to change the outcome, then why would you bother doing any fraud at all? Exactly. Ex I mean, exactly. That is, that is, that is perfect. All right. December 4th. Okay. December 4th, after four Republican leaders of the Pennsylvania legislature. Oh, wait, was there another one? There are more. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. I gotta scroll to make sure I see them all. Okay. Filter Dog, thank you very much. I'm gonna look over at Foxhole in just a moment and check check you guys out. Is it ISS922? They say it seems like there was a lot of turncoats at the moment of truth. Yes. And I think a lot of these people helped the steal happen. Marcy USA, thank you. They say, so grateful for your timely and thoughtful analysis. Can't wait. DNI Ratcliffe noted foreign interference occurred. Intel agency's heads not providing assess violating EO and his commander-in-chief roles. Yes. Yeah, I want to see what, I want to know what Ratcliffe has to say about this section in here about what the DNI told Trump. That'll be interesting to see. All right, Foxhole friends. Johnny Q. Oh no. He retweeted Sidney Powell as well. He's going straight to jail with the rest of us. Porpoiseful. Thank you very much. Curious Patriot. Thank you for the cookie. And they say, Kyle, wasn't Eastman the first lawyer of Trump's to have his phone confiscated? I believe so. And, um, yeah, I believe so. Him, Scott Perry, uh, Mike Lindell, and then there were subpoenas sent to Lynn Wood, Sidney Powell, General Flynn, Jenna Ellis, Rudy, all the people uh, that were involved in any way. I was really hoping that this would be an indictment of Lynn Wood. Uh, his time's coming. I think I think that he's he was part of it. He was part of this scheme to entrap Trump in the post-election uh, battles. I, I think that dude is 100% a... Uh, not paramilitary, but para intel agency. I think he's a CIA uh, military industrial complex adjacent guy. Um, all right, not going to get into that right now, but yeah. Carenza, thank you very much. And D Patriot 1776, thank you. All right, let's go to Wisconsin. 
Wisconsin on November 29, 2020, a recount in Wisconsin that the defendant's campaign had petitioned and paid for did not change the election result and, in fact, increased the defendant's margin of defeat. On December 14th, the Wisconsin Supreme Court rejected an election challenge by the campaign. One justice wrote, quote, nothing in this case cast any legitimate doubt that the people of Wisconsin lawfully chose Vice President Biden and Senator Harris to be the next leaders of our great country. On December 21st, as a result of the state Supreme Court's decision, the Wisconsin governor, who had signed a certificate of ascertainment on November 30th, identifying Biden's electors as the state's legitimate electors, signed a certificate of final determination in which he recognized that the state Supreme Court had resolved a controversy regarding the appointment of Biden electors and confirmed that Biden had received the highest number of votes in the state and that his electors were the state's legitimate electors. That same day, in response to the court's decision that had prompted the Wisconsin governor to sign a certificate of final determination, the defendant issued a tweet repeating his knowingly false claim of election fraud and demanding that the Wisconsin legislature overturn the election results that had led to the ascertainment of Biden's electors as the legitimate electors. On December 27, <laughs> Lynn Wood announced his retirement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did because he's in trouble. He's in big trouble. Uh, anyway, on December 27th, the defendant uh, raised with raised with the acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general a specific fraud claim that there had been more votes than voters in Wisconsin. The acting deputy attorney general informed the defendant that the claim was false. On January 6, 2021, the defendant publicly repeated knowingly false claims that there had been tens of thousands of unlawful votes in Wisconsin. Right, the defendant's use of dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to organize fraudulent slates of electors and cause them to transmit false certificates to Congress. All right, I haven't read this section yet, but before this, if you asked me if um, I'll take care of the troll. All right, um, before this indictment, if you had asked me if I thought Trump had anything to do with the fake electors. I would have said no. I think it's a trap that they were trying to get him with. And I'm not I'm not I'm not sure about who was in the know that it was a trap, but I think I think ultimately it leads back to um a trap. I don't know all the names we're familiar with. I don't know how aware they are of it. They may have all be well-intentioned, right? They may all be perfectly well-intentioned, didn't mean any harm at all, didn't mean to commit any crime. They weren't trying to be nefarious at all. But they were, and uh, or at least some of them were. I think Trump didn't have anything to do with this. So we'll see if I would be right or not. As the defendant's as the defendant attempts to obstruct the electoral vote through deceit of state officials met with repeated failure, beginning in early December 2020, he and his co-conspirators developed a new plan to marshal individuals who would have served as the defendant's electors had he won the popular vote in seven targeted states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and cause those individuals to make and send to the vice president and Congress false certifications that they were legitimate electors. Under the plan, the submission of these fraudulent slates would create a fake controversy at the certification proceeding and position the vice president 
presiding on January 6th as president of the Senate to supplant legitimate electors with the defendant's fake electors and certify the defendant as president. Okay, as described right there, that sounds criminal to me. As described right there, that sounds criminal to me. The plan capitalized on ideas presented in memoranda drafted by co-conspirator five. I believe that to be cheese bro. An attorney who was assisting the defendant's campaign with legal efforts related to a recount in Wisconsin. The memoranda evolved over time from a legal strategy to preserve the defendant's rights to a corrupt plan to subvert the federal government function by stopping Biden's electors. All right. So see, this is important to note. It started out legitimate as a legal strategy to preserve defendants' rights, but it became a corrupt plan to subvert the federal government function, to subvert the counting of the electors. So initially it was okay, but it got into criminal territory eventually. A, the November 18th memorandum, Wisconsin memo is what it's called, advocated that because of the ongoing recount in Wisconsin, the defendant's electors there should meet and cast votes on December 14th, the date the ECA required appointed electors to vote. To preserve the alternative of the defendant's Wisconsin elector slate in the event the defendant ultimately prevailed in the state. The December 6th memorandum, fraudulent elector memo, is what Jack Smith is calling it, marked a sharp departure from co-conspirator 5's Wisconsin memo advocating that the alternative electors originally conceived of to preserve rights in Wisconsin instead be used in a number of states as fraudulent electors to prevent Biden from receiving the 270 electoral votes necessary to secure the presidency on J6. That's where the break happens. Between November 18th and December 6th, this becomes a swampy plan to trap Trump and, and Pence. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. This uh, this fake elector scheme, in my opinion, looks to have been intended to entrap criminally Donald Trump, Mike Pence, possibly Rudy, possibly Mark Meadows. Okay. Wisconsin, the fraudulent elector memo suggested that the defendant's electors in six purportedly contested states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, should meet and mimic as best as possible the actions of the legitimate Biden electors, and that on January 6th, the vice president should open and count the fraudulent votes, setting up a fake controversy that would derail the proper certification of Biden as president-elect. What you want to bet, guys, that the swamp was hoping Pence and Trump would do this. And when Pence didn't do that and instead allowed objections, they had they had to cause a riot. They had to make that riot happen and interrupt the vote, interrupt the objections. What you want to bet originally the swamp was like, this is how we're going to get him right here. This is how we're going to get him. And then he didn't fall for it and neither did Pence. So then they had to go to the backup plan, which was insurrection. I, I bet this was, 
At the same time this is going on, uh, in November, Proud Boys and uh, Oath Keepers are already planning. I mean, it was the first week of November. They started, uh, I think it was Oath Keepers, the first week of November. They started coming up with their plans to um, to cause an insurrection. Uh, they were already back then in that first week. I think it was uh, like on November 10th, maybe, or November 8th um, or 7th. Rhodes had already texted the group, Trump's not going to do anything. We have to do something. It's and it's time for Lexington, is what they were telling each other. Okay, next one. December 9th memorandum, fraudulent elector instructions. Consisted of co-conspirator five's instructions on how fraudulent electors could mimic legitimate electors in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Co-conspirator 5 noted that in some states, it would be virtually impossible for the fraudulent electors to successfully take the same steps as the legitimate electors because state law required formal participation in the process by state officials or access to official resources. That's where it becomes criminal, guys. They, in, the, um, in the indictment in Michigan of the fake electors, where the prosecutor where the prosecutors have them dead to rights in, in one spot that they have them dead to rights is that they signed documents stating that they had been sworn in, in the Michigan house and that they had certified these votes in the Michigan house on this day. And they signed all this stuff and it wasn't true. They actually met at, I think Republican party headquarters. Um, The way they went about it wasn't right, and that's what makes them fake electors. There is a proper way to go about it, but they didn't do that, and they didn't do that in time. Um, and and we can get in there. Can, there there can be a discussion separate of that of why that didn't why they weren't able to do it legitimately and how they got blocked by Republicans and Democrats in their respective states from being able to produce legitimate alternative slate of electors like but they faked it to try and make it and that's what's got them criminally liable the plan began in early december and ultimately the because because understand guys sorry to dwell on this understand that when they signed the these documents stating that they were legitimate electors for trump from their respective state, at the same time they did that, they were submitting a false document to the federal government. Big no-no. All right, the plan began in early December, and ultimately the conspirators and the defendants' campaign took the Wisconsin memo, which wasn't the one spelling out something illegal, and expanded it to any state that the defendant claimed was contested. Even New Mexico, which the defendant had lost by more than 10% of the popular vote. This expansion was forecast by emails the defendant's chief of staff, ooh, that's Mark Meadows, right? Sent on December 6th, forwarding the Wisconsin memo to campaign staff and writing, quote, We just need to have someone coordinating the electors for states. On December 6th, the defendant and co conspirator, too, that's John Eastman, 
called the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Ronna, Ronna, Rom, Ronna, Romney McDaniel, to ensure that the plan was in motion. During the call, John Eastman told the chairwoman, Ronna, that it was important for the RNC to help the defendant's campaign gather electors in targeted states and falsely represented to her that such elector votes, electors' votes would be used only if ongoing litigation in one of the states changed the results in the defendant's favor. Guys, do you want to see Ronna Romney McDaniel on the witness stand testifying and then getting cross-examined by Trump's defense attorneys? I do. Do you want to see Brad Raffensperger in the witness stand testifying and getting cross-examined by Trump's attorneys? Hmm. Hmm. How, how about Alina Haba, one of Trump's badass defense attorneys, grilling Steve Ducey, is it Steve Ducey, Doug Ducey, whatever it is, the Arizona governor or any of the other people. Think about all these people that are like, yeah, I remember this time that someone said something. Now imagine them in the witness stand saying it and Alina Haba getting to tear them apart. We're headed for some good times. Uh, this is going to be wildly entertaining. On December 6th, the defendant called the chairwoman, blah, 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 responded approvingly. After the RNC chairwoman consulted the campaign and heard that work on gathering electors was underway, she called and reported this information to Trump, who responded approvingly. On December 7th, co-conspirator one, Rudy Giuliani, received the Wisconsin memo and the fraudulent elector memo. Okay, that's the one that is concerning. Co-conspirator one spoke with co-conspirator six, who we, I'm not sure who that is yet, spoke with co-conspirator six regarding attorneys who could assist in the fraudulent elector effort in the targeted states, and he received from co-conspirator six an email identifying attorneys in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The next day on December 8th, co-conspirator five, Cheesebro, called the Arizona attorney on co-conspirator six list in an email after the call, the Arizona attorney general recounted his conversation with co-conspirator five as follows. This is, we got to figure out who co-conspirator six is. This is probably this, these nuggets right here are probably one way we can figure it out. Um, putting these pieces together. Okay. This is what he said. I just talked to the gentleman who did the memo cheese, bro. His idea is basically that all of us, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, PA, et cetera, have our electors send in their votes, even though the votes aren't legal under federal law because they're not signed by the governor. So that so that members of Congress can fight about whether they should be counted on January 6th. They could potentially argue that they're not bound by federal law because they're, they're Congress and make the law. Kind of wild creative. I'm happy to discuss. My comment to him was that I guess there's no harm in it, legally at least. We would just be sending in fake electoral votes. Even they called them fake, guys. That's huge. Electoral votes depend so that someone in Congress can make an objection 
when they start counting votes and start arguing that the fake votes should be counted. Whoa, did he literally call them fake? December 8th, Cheese Bro called the Arizona attorney on Co-Conspirator 6 list. In the email after the call, he put this in writing. Arizona attorney recounted his conversation with Co-Conspirator 5 as follows. Okay, so it's the Arizona attorney that's calling them fake. Okay, I thought it, at first I thought it was, it was Co-Conspirator 6 calling them fake. It's not. Okay, it's the Arizona attorney who's calling them fake. Still, that's, that's big. Mm. At Co-Conspirator 1's direction on December 10th, Co-Conspirator 5 sent two points. That's supposed to be TWO, I think. Sent two points of contact. No, it's not. Co-Conspirator 5 sent to points of contact in all targeted states except Wisconsin, which had already received his memos, and New Mexico, a streamlined version of the Wisconsin memo, which did not reveal the intended fraudulent use of the defendant's electors and the fraudulent elector instructions along with fraudulent elector certificates that he had drafted. The next day, on December 11th, through Co-Conspirator 5, Co-Conspirator 1 suggested that the Arizona lawyer file a petition for cert in the Supreme Court as a pretext to claim that litigation was pending in the state to provide cover for the convening and voting of the defendant's fraudulent electors. So that's a suggestion that came from Rudy. Co-conspirator 5 explained that Rudy had heard from a state official and state provisional elector that, quote, it could appear treasonous for the Arizona electors to vote on Monday if there is no pending court proceeding. That is Rudy. That is, guys, that is Rudy giving them a chance and saying, here's the right way. You should do it this way. And he was right, but they didn't. That's, that's Rudy giving them a path to be on that is, or a step to take that is legal and keeps things legal. To manage the plan in Pennsylvania on December 12th, co-conspirator one, Rudy, cheese bro, whoever co-conspirator six is participated in a conference call organized by the defendant's campaign with the defendant's electors in that state. When the defendant's electors expressed concern about signing certificates, representing themselves as legitimate electors, Rudy falsely assured them that their certificates would be used only if the defendant succeeded in litigation. So that's what Rudy said. Subsequently, Co-conspirator 6 circulated proposed conditional language to that effect for potential inclusion in the fraudulent electric certificates. A campaign official cautioned not to offer the conditional language to other states because, quote, the other states are signing what he prepared. If it gets out, we change the language for PA, it could snowball. In some cases, the defendant's electors refused to participate in the plan. Hmm... Hmm. So the ball was already rolling in some of the states and people were already signing on to it. Here with Pennsylvania, Rudy made sure 
to try and do it in a way that legally protected what they were doing. But other states had already gone forward without doing that. Okay. On December 13th, Co-Conspirator 5 sent Rudy an email memorandum that further confirmed that the conspirators' plan was not to use the fraudulent electors only in the circumstance that the defendant's litigation was successful in one of the targeted states. Instead, the plan was to falsely present the fraudulent slates as an alternative to the legitimate slates at Congress's certification proceeding. Well, that's Cheesebro done then. I think Cheesebro is going to get convicted. Um, he just, he emailed Rudy, who is a asset evidence of a crime. He put it in right. Yeah. I think he's done. He's cooked. December 13th, the defendant asked, which means he may be targeted to flip on December 13th. The defendant asked the senior campaign advisor for an update on quote, what was going on with the elector plan and directed him to put out a statement on electors. As a result, Co-conspirator one, Rudy, directed the senior campaign advisor to join a conference call with them, co-conspirator six, and others. When the senior campaign advisor related these developments in text messages to the deputy campaign manager, a senior advisor to the defendant, and a campaign staffer, the deputy campaign manager responded, Here's the thing. The way this was has morphed, it's a crazy play, so I don't know who wants to put their name on it. The senior advisor wrote, Certifying illegal votes. In turn, the participants in the group text message refused to have a statement regarding electors attributed to their names because none of them could stand by it. They sussed it out. The people on that on that phone call sussed it out that this was not this was not on the up and up. Okay. Also on December 13th, at a campaign staffer's request, of course, another way to look at that, guys, besides the one way to look at that is they sussed it out and realized this didn't seem on the up and up. Another way to think of it is they knew it wasn't on the up and up because they knew what was going on and that it was a trap and they didn't want to step in the trap. It would be either or. Also on December 13th at a campaign staffer's request, Cheesebro drafted and sent fraudulent elector certificates for the defendant's electors in New Mexico which had not been previously among the targeted states and where there was no pending litigation in the defendant's behalf. Cheesebro's cooked. The next day, the defendant's campaign filed an election challenge suit in New Mexico at 11.54 a.m., six minutes before the noon deadline for the elector's votes as a pretext so that there was pending lit litigation there at the time the fraudulent electors voted. Six minutes to spare. On December 14th, the legitimate electors of all 50 states and the District of Columbia met in their respective jurisdictions to formally cast their votes for president, resulting in a total of 232 electoral votes for the defendant and 306 for Biden. The legitimate electoral votes that Biden won in the states that the defendant targeted and the defendant's margin of defeat were as follows. Arizona, 11 electoral votes, 10,457 votes georgia 16 electorals total of 11,779 vote difference michigan 16 electoral votes 154,188 vote difference nevada six electoral votes 33,596 new mexico five electoral votes 99,720 difference in vote difference 
Pennsylvania, 20 electoral votes, 80,555 vote difference. And Wisconsin, 10 electoral votes, 20,682 vote difference. On the same day, at the direction of the defendant and Rudy, fraudulent electors convened sham proceedings in the seven targeted states to cast fraudulent electoral ballots in favor of the defendant. In some states, in order to satisfy legal requirements set forth for legitimate electors under state law, state officials were enlisted to provide the fraudulent electors access to state capitol buildings so that they could gather and vote there. In many cases, however, as co-conspirator 5 had predicted in the fraudulent elector instructions, the fraudulent electors were unable to satisfy the legal requirements. Yep. I want to know how it is. How did Trump and Rudy direct them to convene sham proceedings? This is an action. This is an overt action in this paragraph. It says, at the direction of defendant and Rudy, fraudulent electors convened sham proceedings in seven targeted states to cast fraudulent electoral ballots in favor of Trump. I want to know how Trump and Rudy directed them. I got a feeling that Trump and Rudy did not direct them to engage in criminality. Nonetheless, as directed in the fraudulent elector instructions, shortly after the fraudulent electors met on December 14th, the targeted state's fraudulent elector certificates were mailed to the president of the Senate, the archivist of the United States, and others. The defendant and co-conspirators ultimately used the certificates of these fraudulent electors to deceitfully target the government function and did so contrary to how fraudulent electors were told they would be used. Those, those Michigan fake electors that were indicted, I hope they have receipts for how they were informed that these documents would be used so that they can defend themselves and say, no, we were told that this is how it was going to be done. This is what we signed up for. That evening at six, I feel really bad for them, by the way. I feel really, really bad for the, the fake electors in Michigan who got indicted because my sense is that none of them are actually swampy people. I think they're probably really good MAGA people who had all the best intentions and got entrapped. Kind of like the MAGA, the real MAGA people who were at the Capitol on January 6th who got entrapped there. That evening at 6.26 p.m., the RNC chairwoman forwarded to Trump through his executive assistant, who I'm pretty sure is Scavino, an email titled Electors Recap Final, which represented that in six contested states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, the defendant's electors had voted in parallel to Biden's electors. The defendant's executive assistant responded, it's in front of him. The defendant attempted to leverage the Justice Department to use deceit to get state officials to replace legitimate electors and electoral votes with the defendants. In late December 2020, the defendant attempted to use the Justice Department to make knowingly false claims of election fraud to officials in the targeted states through a formal letter under the acting attorney general's signature thus giving the defendants lies the backing of the federal government and attempting to improperly influence the targeted states 
to replace legitimate Biden electors with the defendants. On December 22nd, the defendant, see, this sounds like what Jeff Clark did. It sounds right here like he's setting up to accuse Trump of a crime that it looks more like Jeff Clark committed, but we'll see. On December 22, the defendant met with co-conspirator for Jeffrey Clark at the White House. Clark had not informed his leadership at the Justice Department of the meeting which was a violation of the Justice Department's written policy restricting contacts with the White House to guard against improper political influence. So that's a big no-no. On December 26th, Clark spoke on the phone with the acting attorney general and lied about the circumstances of his meeting with the defendant at the White House, falsely claiming that the meeting had been unplanned. The acting attorney general directed co-conspirator for Clark not to have unauthorized contacts with the White House again, and Clark said he would not. The next morning, on December 27th, contrary to the acting attorney general's direction, Clark spoke with Trump on Trump's cell phone for nearly three minutes. That afternoon, Trump called the acting attorney general, at that time it was Rosen, and the acting deputy attorney general, was that Donahue at the time maybe? And said, among other things, Quote, people tell me Clark is great. I should put him in. The defendant also raised multiple false claims of election fraud, while the acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general refuted. When the acting attorney general told the defendant that the Justice Department could not and would not change the outcome of the election, the defendant responded, quote, just say that the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. I need more coffee. Hey, E.H. Kyle, good evening. They say, Kyle, it's on film where Michigan electors stood outside the state house trying to get in, but Gretchen had state troopers guarding the doors and orders not to let them, them in. That's right. That's right, but they signed documents stating that they had been in the state house and had voted in there. So, like, the document they submitted is false, we know it's false from reports. We also know it's false because of that video. So, like, I understand that they weren't allowed to get in, but they still put their name on a document stating something that was false. And that's, that's part of the reason they're in trouble. That afternoon, the defendant called the acting attorney general and acting attorney, duh, people tell me, blah, blah, blah. Okay, on December 28th, Clark sent a draft letter to the acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general, which he proposed they all sign. The draft was addressed to state officials in Georgia, and Clark proposed sending versions of the letter to elected officials in other targeted states. The proposed letter contained numerous knowingly false claims about the election and the Justice Department. Yeah, Rain, they knew it was false. They knew they knew it was false. I'll at the end of this, I'll I'll go grab some stuff and show y'all. Um A. The Justice Department had, quote, identified significant concerns that may have impacted the outcome of the election in multiple states. B, the Justice Department believed that in Georgia and other states, two valid slates of electors had gathered at the proper location on December 14th, and that both sets of ballots had been transmitted to Congress. That is 
Clark's letter sought to advance the defendant's fraudulent elector plan by using the authority of the Justice Department to falsely present the fraudulent electors as a valid alternative to the legitimate electors. Man, if that's true, that's bad for Clark. This right here is really bad for Clark. The Justice Department urged that the state legislature convene a special legislative session to create the opportunity to, among other things, choose the fraudulent electors over the legitimate electors. So far, this thing is looking really bad for Eastman, Clark, and Cheesebro. The acting deputy attorney general promptly responded to Clark by email and told him that his proposed letter was false, writing, quote, despite dramatic claims to the contrary, we have not seen the type of fraud that calls into question the reported and certified results of the election. In a meeting shortly thereafter, the acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general again directed Clark not to have unauthorized contact with the White House. On December 31st, the defendant summoned to the Oval Office the acting attorney general, acting deputy attorney general, and other advisors. In the meeting, the defendant again raised claims about election fraud that Justice Department officials already had told him were not true and that the senior Justice Department officials reiterated were false and suggested he might change the leadership in the Justice Department. Trump did. He suggested that. There were a group of people trying to get Clark to be Attorney General, if you guys remember. And Clark himself was, uh, reportedly, Clark told Trump, just make, just put me in there, just make me Attorney General and I'll I'll do whatever needs to I'll do what needs to be done. I don't remember the exact quote, but not good. On January second, twenty twenty one, just four days before Congress's certification proceeding, Clark tried to coerce the acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general to sign and send Clark's draft letter, which contained false statements to state officials. He told them that the defendant was considering making Clark the new acting attorney general, but that. Clark would decline Trump's offer if the acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general would agree to send the proposed letter to targeted states. Justice Department officials refused. Guys, do you see what's going on right there? Do you see what's going on right there? They, Clark. Mm, okay. So what I think is right there is Clark is trying to be made attorney general. He offered to Trump that make me attorney general. I'll do what it needs to be done. I'll do what you're asking. And I'll be your Eric Holder. And, um, essentially. And then he's going to his bosses, the acting attorney general Rosen and his deputy and saying, look, Trump's gonna, Trump's gonna make me attorney general. And, uh, that means you're going to be out. But tell you what, if you sign this letter here and put it out, I'll decline Trump's offer. He was trying to trap them. He's trying to trap Trump and trap Rosen and the deputy attorney general right there into issuing this letter that, that Clark wrote. That's how it comes off to me. I think that was a that was a play right there. 
Absolutely. All right. Next morning on January 3rd, despite having uncovered no additional evidence of election fraud, Clark sent to a Justice Department colleague an edited version of his draft letter to the states, which included a change from its previous claim that the Justice Department had concerns to a stronger false claim that, quote, as of today, there is evidence of significant irregularities that may have impacted the outcome of the election in multiple states. This would have, guys, this would have set up the fake elector thing to be, this is part of setting up the fake elector thing for J6 for Pence to fall for. Mm. On the afternoon of January 3rd, Clark spoke with Deputy White House Counsel. Um, Cipollone. And I don't know. I don't know who it could be. All right. The previous month, the Deputy White House Counsel had informed the defendant, Trump, that, quote, there is no world, there is no option in which you do not leave the White House on January 20th. Now, the same Deputy White House Counsel tried to dissuade Clark from assuming the role of acting attorney general. The Deputy White, White House Counsel reiterated to Clark, that there had not been outcome determinative fraud in the election, and that if the defendant remained in office, nonetheless, there would be, quote, riots in every major city in the United States. Clark responded, quote, well, that's why there's an insurrection act. Clark not looking good here. Not looking good. Also that afternoon... Clark met with the acting attorney general and told him that the defendant had decided to put Clark in charge of the Justice Department. The acting attorney general responded that he would not accept being fired by a subordinate and immediately scheduled a meeting with Trump for that evening. On the evening of January 3rd, the defendant met for a briefing on an overseas national security issue with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and other senior national security advisors. The chairman briefed the defendant on the issue, which had previously arisen in December. Is this about Iran? Is this about Iran? Trump approved, guys, Trump approved a shadow war in Iran in December of 2020. And then now it's the plan that he's been indicted for talking about in the superseding indictment that hit last week. So this is January 3rd. Millie is there. Other national security advisors issue had arisen in December. There were, there were Iran, Iranians were indicted for interfering in the 2020 election. If you've been watching me for a long time, you know that because we went over the indictment. Um, when the, it was election interference, and they used EO, they used Executive Order thirteen eight four eight to seize their websites. They hacked into voting rolls. Iran did. All right when the chairman and other and another advisor recommended that the defendant take no action because inauguration day was only seventeen days away, we got a seventeen in here. And any any course of action could trigger something unhelpful. The defendant calmly agreed, stating, "Quote, yeah, you're right. It's too late for us." We're going to give that to the next guy. Oh, my God, it is. It is. It's about Iran. Okay, so. Oh, okay. It's going to take me too long to dig up my thread, but I have a thread on Iran and uh, related to the superseding indictment and um, 
the other indictment from Jack Smith for the documents case. And in there, in the thread, I explained this whole Iran thing and how Trump started a shadow war. And um, he was going over news reports about that shadow war and its progress. Um, that's the conversation he's having with those people. And out of that conversation, Jack Smith turned that conversation into an indictment against him, called it, said that he was showed that he may have showed them military plans. But Trump says he didn't show them any military plans. He was talking about news reports. The news reports were about Iran because Trump started a shadow war in Iran right before he left office. But the contingency plans that or the the plans that he was uh, presented by Milley, they would take six months to be fully operational. So six months after Trump approved those plans in December of 2020, he meets he has that cabinet meeting in Bedminster. Remember the cabinet meeting that Mark Meadows and all these other people were at? Around that time frame is when that conversation happens. Trump's looking at news reports about Iran, and he's saying, this was a military plan. They gave this to me. They showed me this military plan. He's talking about the news reports because he's seeing the plan he approved before leaving office being fully operational under who? The next guy, Joe Biden. So yeah, you're right. It's too late for us meaning it's too late for us to change anything about these plans. We've already got started. We're going to have to give this to the next guy. In other words, folks, Joe Biden for the past two and a half years has been implementing a military plan in Iran that Trump approved. It's a shadow war. All right. The defendant moved immediately from his this national security briefing to the meeting with the acting attorney general um, had requested earlier that day, which included Eastman, the acting attorney general, Rosen, the acting deputy attorney general. I think that's Donahue, but I don't remember exactly. The Justice Department's assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel, the White House counsel, a deputy White House counsel and a senior advisor. At the meeting, the defendant expressed frustration with the acting attorney general for failing to do anything to overturn the election results, and the group discussed Eastman's plans to investigate purported election fraud and to send his proposed letter to state officials, a copy of which was provided to the defendant during the meeting. The defendant relented in his plan to replace the acting attorney general with, with Eastman, I mean, um, with Clark, only when he was told that it would result in mass resignations of the Justice Department and of his own White House counsel. Hmm. I'm not sure. Okay. I think this is definitely massaged and spun. <laughs> I have no doubt that Trump was telling these officials that he wasn't happy and that he was frustrated with the election fraud and with the Justice Department not investigating it like he wanted them to. By the way, a lot of them were state crimes, which is why the F the Justice Department wasn't investigating them. They weren't federal crimes. They were state crimes. Um, so the Justice Department didn't have a role in it. It was the states that needed to step up. But... The states and the officials in states and the Republican Party in those states love blaming the Justice Department for what is their failings because it gives them cover. 
Anyway, it's projectionism. Clark produced plans to investigate the election fraud and to send his proposed letter to state officials. A copy was provided to tr- of this was provided to Trump during the meeting. The defend Trump relented in his plan to replace. I don't think it was his plan <laughs> with ease with Clark only when he was told that it would result in mass resignations. I seem to remember part of this conversation being reported before. And if I remember correctly, Trump was like, what would you do if I made Clark the acting attorney general? If I remember, if I, I think I remember Trump phrased it as reportedly, what would you do if I did that? And he was told that they would then fire. He, they would, they would then resign. I think this is characterized in a way that puts way more blame on Trump than there actually is to be placed on Trump. Um, Anyway, at the meeting in the Oval Office on the night of January 3rd, co-conspirator for Jeffrey Clark suggested that the Justice Department should opine that the vice president could exceed his lawful authority during the certification proceeding and change the election outcome. Dude, Clark is swamped. When the assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel began to explain why the Justice Department should not do so, Trump said, quote, no one here should be talking to the vice president. I'm talking to the vice president and ended the discussion. I'm kind of surprised that uh, Jack Smith left that sentence in here. One day, one day people will understand the patriot that Mike Pence is. One day, but it'll probably be a lot of years in the future. Although I do, I I was feeling like he was on a, a hey, karma. I was feeling like Pence was on this redemption arc already. And Trump was starting to redeem him a bit. Uh, But I, I think it's kind of begun a little bit. (laughs) Um, Pence isn't helping it along very much though (laughs) All right, as the January okay defendants attempts to enlist the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results of the January 6th certification proceeding as the January 6th congressional certification proceeding approached and other efforts to impair obstruct and defeat the federal government function failed the defendant sought to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the certification to fraudulently alter the election results. Man, I'm going to like this section. I I am going to uh, like this section. And this section, this section is going to get me in so much trouble. Trump did this first by using knowingly false claims of election fraud to convince the vice president to accept the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than count them. When that failed, the defendant attempted to use a crowd of supporters that he had gathered in Washington, D.C. to pressure the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results. On December 19th, 2020, after cultivating widespread anger and resentment for weeks with his knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant urged his supporters to travel to Washington on the day of the certification proceeding, tweeting, quote, big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. will be wild. Oh, my God. What an incitement. 
Throughout late December, he repeatedly urged his supporters to come to Washington for January 6th. On December 23rd, the defendant retweeted a memo. Oh, man. What a crime. Retweeting memos. He retweeted a memo titled Operation Pence Card, which falsely asserted that the vice president could, among other things, unilaterally disqualify legitimate electors from six targeted states. On the same day, co-conspirator 2, Eastman, circulated a two-page memorandum outlining a plan for the vice president to unlawfully declare the defendant the certified winner of the presidential election. In the memorandum, Eastman claimed that seven states had transmitted two slates of electors and proposed that the vice president announce, president announce that, quote, because of the ongoing disputes in the seven states, there are no electors that can be deemed validly appointed in those states. Next, Eastman proposed steps that he acknowledged violated the ECA, advocating that in the end, quote, Pence then gavels President Trump as reelected. Just two months earlier, on October 11th, Eastman had taken the opposite position, writing that neither the Constitution nor the ECA provided the vice president discretion in the counting of electoral votes or permitted him to make the determination on his own. Guys, I think Eastman was sent in to trap Trump. I think I think so. Which makes you question, okay. Was Eastman promoted by conservative incorporated media because they actually agreed with his ideas and they thought it was a good idea and they were sincerely promoting it because they were like, "Oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Maybe this will work." Or did some folks in conservative incorporated media promote Eastman because they wanted the trap to work. It's a big question. It's a difficult question. On several private phone calls in late December and early January, the defendant repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud and directly pressured the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the certification proceeding on January 6th to fraudulently overturn the results of the election. And the vice president resisted including a on December 25th when the vice president on Christmas when the vice president called Trump to wish him merry christmas the defendant quickly turned the conversation to January 6th and his request that Pence reject electoral votes that day Pence pushed back telling Trump that the vice president already had in previous conversations quote you know i don't think i have the authority to change the outcome b on December 29 as reflected in vice president's contemporaneous notes the defendant falsely told the vice president that the Justice Department was finding major infractions. Hey, that's not false. That's not false. The Justice Department indicted Iranians for hacking into our election system and trying to, um, they sent out fake mailers to people, intimidating them. They put out uh, election misinformation to try and um, dissuade people from voting. Um, I mean, I would say, I think Iranian agents hacking the voter rolls of a U.S. state should qualify as a major infraction, don't you? 
I mean, the fact that that's sanctioned and um, basically an enemy nation that we're in a shadow war with and that is known for sponsoring terrorism, trafficking arms, people, drugs, and killing Americans, that nation hacked into the, the voter information of at least one state in the U.S., may have been more than one, Sounds like a major infraction to me. This is totally, this is wrong here. Okay. On January 1st, the defendant called the vice president and berated him because he had learned that the vice president had opposed a lawsuit seeking a judicial decision that at the certification, the vice president had the authority to reject or return votes to the states under the constitution. The vice president responded that he thought there was no constitutional basis for such authority and that it was improper. In response, the defendant told the vice president, you're too honest. Within hours of the conversation, the defendant reminded his supporters to meet in Washington before the certification proceeding, tweeting, quote, the big protest rally in Washington, D.C. will take place at 11 a.m. on January 6th. Location details to follow. Stop the steal. You're too honest. One of the many nice things Trump has said about Pence which is true. It's true. Remember, Trump and Pence, Trump is as innocent as Pence is. He told you so. On January 3rd, the defendant again told Pence that at the certification proceeding, the vice president had the absolute right to reject electoral votes and the ability to overturn the election. The vice president responded that he had no such authority, and that a federal appeals court had rejected the lawsuit making that claim the previous day. On January 3rd, Eastman circulated a second memorandum that included a new plan under which, contrary to the ECA, the vice president would send the elector slates to the state legislatures to determine which slate to count. On January 4th, the defendant held a meeting with co-conspirator 2, Eastman, the vice president, the vice president's chief of staff, I think that's Cipollone, right? And then vice pre, or maybe no, it's, does it start with a P? I don't remember. Uh, for the purpose of convincing the vice president based on the defendant's knowingly false claims of election fraud, that the vice president should reject or send the states, uh, send to the states Biden's legitimate electoral votes rather than count them. The defendant deliberately excluded his White House counsel from the meeting because the White House counsel previously had pushed back on the defendant's false claims of election fraud. How do you know that that's why he was excluded, Jack? I wonder. During the meeting, as reflected in the vice president's contemporaneous notes, the defendant made knowingly false claims of election fraud, including, quote, bottom line, won every state by hundreds of thousands of votes, and we won every state, and asked regarding a claim his senior Justice Department officials previously had told him was false, including as recently as the night before, quote, what about 205,000 votes more in PA than voters? The defendant and co-conspirator, too, then asked the vice president to either unilaterally reject the legitimate electors from the seven targeted states or send the question to which slate was legitimate to the targeted states' legislatures. When the vice president challenged Eastman on whether the proposal to return the question to the states was defensible, Eastman responded, quote, well, nobody's tested it before. The vice president then told the defendant, did you hear that? Even your own counsel is not saying I have that authority. Trump responded, that's okay, I prefer the other suggestion. 
of the vice president rejecting the electors unilaterally. Also on January 4th, when co-conspirator 2, Eastman, acknowledged Trump's senior advisor that no court would support his proposal, the senior advisor told Eastman, quote, you're going to cause riots in the streets. Eastman responded that there had previously been points in the nation's history where violence was necessary to protect the republic. Not good. After that conversation, the senior advisor notified the defendant that Eastman had conceded that his plan was not going to work. On the morning of January 5th, at the defendant's direction, the vice president's chief of staff and the vice president's counsel met again with co-conspirator two. Eastman now advocated that the vice president do what Trump had said he preferred the day before, unilaterally reject electors from the targeted states. During this meeting, Eastman privately acknowledged to the vice president's counsel that he hoped to prevent judicial review of his proposal because he understood that it would be unanimous, unanimously rejected by the Supreme Court. The vice president's counsel expressed to Eastman that following through with the proposal would result in a, quote, disastrous situation where the election might have to be decided in the streets. That same day, the defendant encouraged supporters to travel to Washington on January 6th and set the false expectation that the vice president had the authority to and might use his ceremonial role at the certification proceeding to reverse the election outcome in the defendant's favor, including issuing the following tweets. Oh no, we got some mean tweets. At 11.06 a.m., quote, the vice president has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors. This was within 40 minutes of Trump's earlier reminder, see you in D.C. At 5.05 p.m., quote, Washington is being inundated with people who don't want to see an election victory stolen. Our country has had enough. They won't take it anymore. We hear you and love you from the Oval Office. At 5.43 p.m., Quote, I will be speaking at the Save America rally tomorrow at the Ellipse or on the Ellipse at 11 a.m. Eastern. Arrive early. Doors open at 7 a.m. Eastern. Big crowds. Also on January 5th, the defendant met alone with the vice president. When the vice president refused to agree to the defendant's request that he obstruct the certification, Trump grew frustrated and told Pence that, the, that Trump would have to publicly criticize him. Upon learning of this, Pence's chief of staff was concerned for Pence's safety and alerted the head of the vice president's security, secret service detail. As crowds began to gather in Washington and were audible from the Oval Office, the defendant remarked to advisors that the crowd the following day on January 6th was going to be angry. That night, the defendant approved and caused the defendant's campaign to issue a public statement that the defendant knew from his meeting with the vice president only hours earlier was false. Quote, the vice president and I are in total agreement that the vice president has the power to act. Um, I mean, the vice president does have the power to act in his role as president of the Senate. Right. That's that's kind of ambiguous there. I can parse that. 
you can parse that. It's uh yeah, okay. On January 6th, starting in the early morning hours, Trump again turned to knowingly false statements aimed at pressuring the vice president to fraudulently alter the election and and raise publicly the false expectation that the vice president might do so. At 1 a.m., the defendant issued a tweet that falsely claimed, quote, if. Okay, it starts with if Jack Smith, if Vice President Mike Pence comes through for us, we will win the presidency. Many states want to decertify the mistake they made in certifying incorrect and even fraudulent numbers in a process not approved by their state legislatures, which it must be. Mike can send it back. At 8.17 a.m., the defendant issued a tweet that falsely stated, quote, states want to correct their votes, which they know they now know were based on irregularities and fraud. Plus, corrupt process never received legislative approval. All Mike Pence has to do is send them back to the states, and we win. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. On the morning of January 6th, an agent of the defendant contacted a United States senator to ask him to hand deliver documents to the vice president. Was that Cruz or Mike Lee, maybe? Trump contacted a senator asking to hand deliver documents to the, pre- the vice president. The, the agent then facilitated the receipt by the senator's staff of the fraudulent certificate signed by the f- defendant's fraudulent electors in Michigan and Wisconsin. Okay, wait a minute here. Okay, wait a minute. Trump didn't do this. It says an agent of Trump. Who's the agent? What agent? What agent and how do I know that he did this at the direction of Trump? The agent then facilitated the receipt by the senator's staff of the fraudulent certificates signed by the defendant's fraudulent electors in Michigan and Wisconsin which were believed not to have been delivered to the vice president or archivist by mail. When one of the senator's staffers contacted the staffer for the vice president by text message to arrange for delivery of what the senator staffer had been told were, quote, alternate slates of electors from Michigan and Wisconsin because archivists didn't receive them, the vice president staffer rejected them. Good. Who is this agent? Because... Either he got roped into this or he's part of the trap against Trump. At 11.15 a.m., the defendant called the vice president and again pressured him to fraudulently reject a return Biden's legitimate electoral votes. The vice president again refused. Immediately after the call, the defendant decided to single out the vice president in public remarks he would make within the hour, reinserting language that he had personally drafted earlier that morning falsely claiming that the vice president had authority to send electoral votes to the states, but that advisors had previously successfully advocated to be removed. Earlier that morning, the defendant had selected Eastman to join Rudy in giving public remarks before his own. I remember that. When they did so, based on knowingly false election fraud claims, Rudy and Eastman intensified pressure on the vice president to fraudulently obstruct the certification proceeding and in so doing, baited the Uniparty into altering the ECA, which was the plan. That was the whole plan. Co-conspirator one told the crowd, Rudy, told the crowd that the vice president could, quote, cast the ECA aside and unilaterally decide on the validity of these crooked ballots. 
He also lied when he claimed to have letters from five legislators begging us to send elector slates to the legislatures for review and called for trial by combat. Eastman told the crowd, quote, all we are demanding of Vice President Pence is this afternoon at one o'clock, he let the legislatures of the state look into this so we get to the bottom of it and the American people know whether we have control of the direction of our government or not. We no longer live in a self-governing republic if we can't get the answer to this question. Next, beginning at 11.56 a.m., the defendant made multiple knowingly false statements integral to his criminal plans to defeat the federal government function, obstruct the certification, and interfere with others' rights to vote and have their votes counted. The defendant repeated false claims of election fraud, gave false hope that the vice president might change the election outcome, and directed the crowd in front of him to go to the Capitol as a means to obstruct the certification and pressure the vice president to fraudulently obstruct the certification. The defendant's knowingly false statements for these purposes included A, the defendant falsely claimed that, based on fraud, the vice president could alter the outcome of the election results, stating, Quote, I hope Mike is going to do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. He did. Because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. All he has to do, all, this is, this is from the number one, or certainly one of the top constitutional lawyers in our country. He has the absolute right to do it. We're supposed to protect our country, support our country, support our constitution and protect our constitution. States want to revote. The states got defrauded. They were given false information. They voted on it. Now they want to recertify. They want it back. All Vice President Pence has to do is send it back to the states to recertify and we become president and you are the happiest people. After the defendant falsely stated that the Pennsylvania legislature wanted to recertify their votes, they want to recertify. But the only way that that can happen is if Mike Pence agrees to send it back. The crowd began to chant, send it back. <clears throat> the defendant also said that regular rules no longer applied, stating, quote, and fraud breaks up everything, doesn't it? When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. Finally, after exhorting that we fight, we fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore, the defendant directed the people in front of him to head to the Capitol suggested he was going with them and told them to give members of Congress the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. And of course, Jack Smith leaves out the most important line, which is now we're going over to the Capitol to peacefully and patriotically make our voices heard and give members of Congress the kind of pride and boldness they need to take back our country. He leaves that part out, doesn't he? There we go. Gabby needs a break from Rumble. So I gave I gave them one. All right. During and after the defendant's remarks, thousands of people marched toward the Capitol. That is true, Jack Smith, but you're leaving out the fact that the people that were already at the Capitol while Trump was speaking are the ones who actually engaged in the insurrection and caused the obstruction and the break-in. The thousands of people who walked from the ellipse to the Capitol um, 
they weren't part of any plan to interrupt the joint session. The people that were already there, though, that was their plan all along. The defendant's exploitation of the violence and chaos at the Capitol. All right. Shortly before 1 p.m., the vice president issued a public statement explaining that his role as president of the Senate at the certification proceeding that was about to begin did not include unilateral authority to determine which electoral votes should be counted and which should not. Before the defendant had finished speaking, a crowd began to gather at the Capitol. Thereafter, a mass of people, including individuals who had traveled to Washington and to the Capitol at the defendant's direction, broke through barriers cordoning off the Capitol grounds and advanced on the building, including by violently attacking law enforcement officers trying to secure it. The defendant, who had returned to the White House after concluding his remarks, watched events at the Capitol unfold on the television in the dining room next to the Oval Office. At 2.13 p.m., after more than an hour of steady, violent advancement, the crowd at the Capitol broke into the building. Upon receiving news that individuals had breached the Capitol, the defendant's advisors told him that there was a riot there and that rioters had breached the building. When advisors urged the defendant to issue a calming message aimed at the rioters, the defendant refused, instead repeatedly remarking that the people at the Capitol were angry because the election had been stolen. At 2.24 p.m., after advisors had left Trump alone in his dining room, the defendant issued a tweet intended to further delay and obstruct this certification. Quote, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. One minute later, at 2.25 p.m., the United States Secret Service was forced to evacuate the vice president to a secure location. At the Capitol throughout the afternoon, members of the crowd chanted, Hang Mike Pence, where is Pence, bring him out, and traitor Pence. The defendant repeatedly refused to approve a message directing rioters to leave the Capitol as urged by his most senior advisors, including the White House counsel, a deputy White House counsel, the chief of staff, a deputy chief of staff, and a senior advisor. Instead, the defendant issued two tweets that did not ask rioters to leave the Capitol, but instead falsely suggested that the crowd at the Capitol was being peaceful, including 2.38 p.m. Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. You know, it's really it really gets to me how MAGA. Um, is very choosy about when they support law enforcement. It's a sad thing. It's a really sad thing. At 3.13 p.m., quote, I am asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. I have no sympathy whatsoever for anyone at the Capitol that day who attacked law enforcement. Zero. I have zero sympathy for you. It, and, and Trump is the same. At 3 p.m., the defendant had a phone call with the minority leader of the United States House of Representatives, McCarthy. The defendant told the minority leader that the crowd at the Capitol was more upset about the election than McCarthy was. <laughs> at 4.17 p.m., 
the defendant released a video message on Twitter that he had just taped in the White House Rose Garden. No. No. No, 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 no. That, that video message was 100% not taped. That had not just been taped in the White House Rose Garden. In it, the defendant repeated the knowingly false claim that, quote, we had an election that was stolen from us and finally asked individuals to leave the Capitol while telling them that they were, quote, very special and that we love you. After the 4.17 p.m. tweet, you think he did it at the 17 minute mark on purpose, guys? As the defendant joined others in the outer overall outer oval office to watch the attack on the Capitol on television, the defendant said, quote, see, this is what happens when they try to steal an election. These people are angry. These people are really angry about it. This is what happens. He's not wrong. At 6.01 p.m., the defendant tweeted, quote, these are the things and events that happen when a scary or when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and in peace. Remember this day forever. On the evening of January 6th, the defendant and co-conspirator one attempted to exploit the violence and chaos at the Capitol by calling lawmakers to convince them based on knowingly false claims of election fraud to delay their certification. The defendant, through White House aides, attempted to reach two United States senators at 6 p.m. I'm guessing it's Mike Lee and Ted Cruz, but I'm not sure. From 6.59 p.m. until 7.18 p.m., Rudy placed calls to five United States senators and one United States representative. Co-conspirator six attempted to confirm phone numbers for six United States senators, whom the defendant had directed Rudy to call and attempt to enlist in further delaying the certification. In one of the calls, Rudy left a voicemail intended for a United States senator that said, we need you, our Republican... Okay, I know this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I, have, I have this article. Um... Okay, I think I can figure out who Conspirator 6 is right now. Um, okay. It's, uh, it was Mean Gene 1. Yeah, it was Mean Gene 1 reshared this article from 2022 the other day. And in it, it has text messages between Mike Lee and Mark Meadows. And I wanted to... It was already in my mind a little bit to show you guys this at the end of the show. Um, okay, I th actually, I think I need to do it a different way. So I, go I need to go through my replies. Hold up, we're rabbit trailing a bit. We're going to rabbit trail for a minute. And it's going to be worth it. That's Matt DiPerno. Where is it? Do, 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 do. Gonna find it. Okay, that's Bernard Carrick. Boom. Got it. Mean Gene One, thank you very much for resharing this article the other day. Okay. 
this CNN article is from 2022. It's from April 15th, 2022. It's text messages and they don't have screenshots of them. They just like read, just have the text of them. So no doubt we're missing some stuff. We're missing some replies and some context and whatnot, but this is what it's referring to in the indictment is, uh, where's this line? We need you, our Republican friends. Mm. Uh, nope. It doesn't have that friend. This line, where is it? Senators Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley in Missouri, Mike Lee to Mark Meadows. Perhaps, where is it? Trump electors pursuant to law, we do not. January 4th. Wait, what was the date on this? This is on January 6th, right? Okay. So let me go to January 6th. Chip Roy to Mark Meadows. Oh, I doesn't have them right here. This is that the only one that has. That's the only time that's been, okay. It, is, it doesn't have that whole, all of that in here. All right. Well, what I wanted to show you guys anyway in this article, which I thought was the best part, is at the very end. At the very end, Chip Roy is texting uh, Mark Meadows, and they've been trying to get Trump. Um, at first the conversations were about the electors and this scheme, but then, um, Chip Roy starting in January or maybe a little bit before January is he's saying he needs to end it. It was on like on new year's Eve, Chip Roy was messaging Mark Meadows and telling him Trump needs to make a speech right now and end this whole thing, this challenge, he just needs to bow out gracefully and not challenge the electors. Um, and then January 1st. If POTUS allows us to occur, we're driving a stake in the heart of the federal republic. I'm sorry that we're in a difficult spot, blah, blah, blah. But now, January 6th, this is what Chip Roy said to Mark Meadows. He texted him and said, this is a shit show. Fix this now. And get a, get a look at what Mark Meadows' reply is. We are. And maybe it's just me. but I think that's actually a profound reply from Mark Meadows <laughs> because I think Mark Meadows is in the know uh, substantially. And I think when he says we are, he's not just talking about, yeah, we're going to get these rowdy, uh, these rowdy people out of the Capitol. I think he's saying we're fixing this we're we're fixing this election fraud issue we're fixing the swamp i i think this is a profound reply from mark meadows and contains a lot more meaning than what is conveyed on the surface but that's just me all right well i didn't find what i was looking for but i got to show you guys that okay I've read this before. I've read this, the script of this voicemail before somewhere. I guess it wasn't that article, but I've read it before. All right. And another message intended for another United States Senator, 
Rudy repeated knowingly false allegations of election fraud, including that the vote counts certified by the states of Congress were incorrect, that the governors who had certified knew they were incorrect, that illegal immigrants had voted in substantial numbers in Arizona, and that Georgia gave you a number in which 65,000 people who were underage voted. Rudy also claimed that the vice president's actions had been surprising and asked the senator to object to every state and kind of spread this out a little bit like a filibuster. There's nothing illegal about that. Nothing illegal about that. At 7.01 p.m., while Rudy was calling United States senators on behalf of Trump, the White House counsel called Trump to ask him to withdraw any objections and allow the certification. Trump refused. The attack on the Capitol obstructed and delayed the certification for approximately six hours until the Senate and House of Representatives came back into session separately at 8.06 p.m. and 9.02 p.m., respectively, and came together in a joint session at 11.35 p.m. You know, it's not the first time a joint session or just a session at the Capitol has been interrupted by protesters. Um, I'm pretty sure it's been interrupted for days on end before by protesters. But anyway, at 11.44 p.m., Eastman e emailed Vice President's counsel advocating that the Vice President violate the law and seek further delay of certification. Eastman wrote, quote, I implore you to consider one more relatively minor violation of the ECA and adjourn for 10 days to allow the legislatures to have finished their investigations as well as to allow a forensic audit of the massive amount of illegal activity that has occurred here. Guys, Eastman is cooked. Eastman is cooked. He's putting in writing, yeah, it's a minor violation of the ECA, but could you go ahead and do this thing? At 3.41 a.m. on January 7th, as president of the Senate, the vice president announced the certified results of the 2020 presidential election in favor of Biden. The defendant and his co-conspirators committed one or more of the acts to affect the object of the conspiracy alleged in these paragraphs. All right, so all of that that I just read to you was count one, apparently. Now count two, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding from on or about November 14th, 2020 through on or about January 7th, 2021 in D.C., Trump did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with co-conspirators, known and unknown to the grand jury, to corruptly obstruct and impede an official proceeding. Uh, count three, obstruction and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. Count four, conspiracy against rights, saying he tried to deprive people of their right to vote and have their vote counted. Sign, special counsel Jack Smith. That is the entire indictment that was released today only took two and a half hours to go through. All right. Um, I said I was going to do something at the end of the show and now I've forgotten what it was. I'll think of it in a minute. Um, let me check out Foxhole cause I haven't looked at you guys very much tonight. Thanks for everybody who's watching over on Foxhole. Appreciate y'all. Um, thanks for the cookies and whatnot. Um, WC crane op, what are you doing over on Foxhole? You're usually on Rumble. He says, hey, a scholar, magnum opus reader, Keck, yes, it's me. Bring cigars and whiskey glass to Gart 2. 
I can do that. In fact, okay, speaking of GART 2, I will be there um, for sure, 100% sure I'll be there. And um, I'm not much of a beach person. I don't really care for the beach. Uh, I like the mountains and I like the prairies and I like the desert. Beaches, not so much. But I've never been to Florida, so I'm looking forward to going to Florida. And I'm looking forward to buying cigars in Florida. <laughs> I'm looking forward to picking up some really good cigars in Florida. And um, yes, so it's a deal, bro. <laughs> like, um, all these other weirdos, they can go to the beach and do whatever it is people do at the beach. I want to find spots to chill and smoke cigars. <laughs> The first, the first guard, I lost my voice on the first day because I stayed up way too late talking to people in a loud room. Um, this time I'm going to have to protect my voice from, uh, smoke because <laughs> I want to smoke as, um, as many good cigars as I can get in. All right. So there was something else I was going to show y'all. What I can't remember what it was. I don't remember. Maybe we'll come back to me. I'm going to check some rants. Thank you, everybody who's tuned in. If you liked, if you liked this and you're on Rumble, hit that thumbs up. That really helps me out over there. I appreciate it. If you know anybody who you think would be interested in um, listening to this indictment, then please share this video with them. Um, or you think they want to, if they want to read my thoughts on it, if they prefer that, then. Uh, I'm going to do a thread later, not tonight. It's too late, but, um, I'll probably, st I may start tonight. I may like do like a tweet posting it, but I'm going to thread tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to thread this whole indictment out. Now, if you, um, if you're also enjoying the show and you've already hit the like button, the other thing you can do to support the show and help me out is to go to bensonhoneyfarms.com and to, uh, use rep code, just human. Um, I love everything at BensonHoneyFarms.com. I love this family. They're wonderful people. As you guys know, Mo is often in chat. Lately, she hasn't been because she's been really busy. But um, Mo Benson is awesome and a good friend. He's got some great products over here. I like every, I've had everything that they offer. I like all of it. But my favorite thing is just the honey. The honey is so freaking good. If this ever comes back in stock, the half gallon glass jar, that is the one to get because their honey is absolutely delicious. You want to buy a big jar of it. It's not pasteurized. It's not superheated. It's not like filtered and like all that stuff. It's just pure raw honey from Nebraska, from an, Amer uh, an America first Patriot family. Great stuff. My second favorite product they offer though, which it's kind of surprised me is their goat's milk honey soap. I think these soaps are really, really good. I'm a bar soap person. I like bar soap. Um, I know some people like gels. I don't really care for those. I'm, I'm like bar soap and their bar soaps are excellent. Um, I like the coconut one. My favorite one is probably coffee. Uh, the coffee one is really, really good. And um, there was another one I like too. Probably the vanilla one. So anyway, great products. 
BensonHoneyFarms.com. Use rep code JUSTHUMAN. Okay. JC Bird, thank you very much for the Rumble Rant. Really appreciate you, man. God bless you, too. The Final Demand, thank you for the Rumble Rant. They said, please, God, put Sydney Powell back in the news cycle. She said that kid was blown up with Simtex in Georgia. Fact, Glenn's attorney, Patriot, the indictments may be fake, but the people are retarded. <laughs> hey, let me see if I can put these rants on screen. Because that would probably be better. Will it let me? Whoa, Look, they look terrible. They look absolutely terrible. Let me see if I can fix that. Well, that makes it a little better. Not really, though. The people are retarded. Okay, so I'm right here with the final demand. All right, I want to say something about Sidney Powell. So Sidney Powell, who I think is a patriot, um, she also, I mean, it kind of looks like she screwed up with Flynn's case. She kind of, it looks like she, she screwed up with Flynn's case and got Flynn pleading guilty. And then later on things worked out and something I've never really, I don't really know. And I've kind of left open was did Sydney, did Sydney Powell kind of purposefully, um, quote unquote, mess up Flynn's case so that it would later get corrected, which then caused a number of events that are actually beneficial to us. So like, if you recall, Flynn pled guilty. And then later on, who was it? It was one of the band members. Was it, was it Terwilliger or, um, it was one of the band, one of the band members at DOJ. They, um, they went and investigated Flynn's case, found that he shouldn't have been charged. And then, went to the judge to have Flynn's case dismissed and judge Sullivan was like, no, you're going to have to prove to me that you shouldn't have brought this case. You can't just show up and say, oops. Oh, well, no, you have to prove to me that you shouldn't have brought this case. And then in doing that, the justice department had to produce a number of documents proving they shouldn't have charged Flynn. That's a much more significant event than the justice department just saying, ah, judge, could you just throw this out? So one question I've had about Sydney Powell is whether, you know, she just messed up accidentally and it was a mistake or if she did exactly what she was supposed to do. I lean that way because I think Flynn's entire case played out exactly as they meant to. I think the whole thing was a plan. I think it was all an op. Um, so anyway, that's one thing I had a question about Sydney Powell that I've had. The fact that she's indicted here, like, well, she's not indicted here. Sorry. She's called a co-conspirator. Um, I worry that she would be indicted, but what sounds good to me, I totally agree with you, the final demand. Um, when I saw that Sidney Powell was one of the co-conspirators, my first thought was, oh, when she said release the Kraken, we thought she was talking about that big, massive lawsuit that ended up having some stuff in it that was bullshit. It was given to her by some people I think were plants that got planted into it in order to blow it up. They were probably sent to her by Lynn Wood, who's a bad actor. I think Lynn Wood was sent in to corrupt Sidney Powell, by the way. 
I think Linwood, I think that was like maybe the original intent, get Linwood in there to get him part of the election fraud thing, um, effort, and then have him like infiltrate it and then seed bad characters into it, which he did. Um, but yeah, I had the thought, I wonder if Sidney Powell is going to end up on the witness stand and then that's the Kraken that she was referring to way back when, because if she is as read in on this and in the know, as many of us have believed or hoped she would be, uh, then she would have known way back then that this is later on going to end up here with these, this indictment wedge gravy. Thank you. Said, uh, the bombs ruin the deep state. What is it? ruins of the deep state are crunchy to walk upon. <laughs> this must be what Fanny's case is built on. Oh yeah. We still got, uh, that Rico case from Georgia probably coming Sparrow 64. Thank you. So excited. You're doing a show tonight. I live in Michigan, but currently vacationing in Maine. Both States need help. That's true. Peep's still asleep. Liz Jen, thank you very much. You're welcome for the live stream. Zero o'clock. Good to see you. And thank you very much for the rumble ran. That's very generous. It's good to be streaming again. Wedge Gravy, where are the devolution papers? That's what Mar-a-Lago raid was all about finding. I actually disagree with you. I don't think that's what the Mar-a-Lago raid was about. Um, but wherever they are, they're protected from people who don't have a need to know. And I think that includes Jack Smith. Mermaid Miss K, thank you. Good to see you. Jason of GTA, plants need water. Yes, that's Cassidy. That would be Miss Hutchinson. Sonny Barnes, what if the reason Chris Miller got choked up while going off script talking to Pence is because he knew that the actions Pence was going to take to save the country would make his own people hate him? I have been literally saying that exact same thing for about two years now. Yep, I think that's exactly what's up. I think Chris Miller knew. And, um, yeah, I honestly, I believe that Pence is among the greatest Patriots that there are. I sincerely believe that. Um, and I believe Chris Miller believes that as well. And I think Trump does as well. Rocky's girl. Thank you. Says I'm a honey snob and I got my Benson's honey. Holy cow. It's now my favorite honey. So incredibly good. Thank you for introducing us, us as a customer for a customer for life now. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Their, um, their honey is awesome. Now, I will say, because honey has, you know, honey has benefits for allergies and I have bad allergies. So like you're supposed to eat honey locally because the hunt, local honey is going to have like pollen and stuff that um, is local to you, which probably irritates you. And eating it in honey helps you build up resistance to that. So I still do like do like a spoonful or so of local honey, but Benson's is my go-to. Like it's uh like 10 to one ratio. <laughs> we go through Benson's really fast in this house. My boys love it. My wife loves it. It's such good stuff. AF medic 70. What's the overall assessment? Seems like a honey trap from sus people. Walls are closing in. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does seem like a trap. Dude, Trump caught them all. Trump caught them all. All right, now I have something else to show you guys. I've remembered, well, I actually hadn't forgot this. I already I knew when I started the show I was gonna I was gonna end with this. 
Okay. Uh, where is it? Where is it at? Well, first we'll check what Donald Trump is truthing. Before we go, let's check. Let's check out what the man is posting on True Social. If it'll show you guys. Okay. Why? Why won't it show that? Hold up. There it goes. All right. I just wanted to see if Trump had said anything specific. All right. Nothing. I mean, he's sharing clips, but, um, all right. So that, that was his last one that he wrote out right now. He's sharing clips. Well, hopefully he will go over to the storm has arrives page on true social. And he would, he will share this absolutely bomb clip. Let me unmute this. This did was exactly uh, constitutionally uh, per precise and 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 so what Mr. Trump did was exactly uh, constitutionally uh, per precise and 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 in order. There was nothing illegal about that, and and he was required to take steps as president of the United States to ensure that the, that election was held in a valid way. Um, all of that now is being criminalized. The one thing I will say though, in 2020. The, Mr. Trump's campaign had a few weeks to gear up and present evidence, and it was very difficult. We now have the ability in this case to issue our own subpoenas, and we will relitigate every single issue in the 2020 election in the context of this litigation. It, it, it gives President Trump an opportunity that he has never had before, which is to have subpoena power since. Oh. What the world? Which is to have subpoena power since. This is this video is too heavy for for Twitter now called X. This, the website formerly known as Twitter. This is too heavy. For Twitter to handle. <laughs> have subpoena power since january 6 in a way yeah. that can be exercised in federal but court what you're talking about the states the states did that each individual state certified the elections they were signed by the governors many of them republican governors um, and many of them republican secretaries of state uh, that signed off and certified those election results before they came to washington dc and we had what was january 6th so right. what you're talking about was done it was certified. No. No, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but you're missing what, what Professor Eastman's advice was. Professor Eastman said that the state legislatures had not opined and weighed in on the changes that had been done in those various states. And what they've really done is invited now a relitigation of 2020, but this time in a criminal court, which is unprecedented. No sitting president has ever been criminally charged for his views, for taking a position. And by the way, is there any doubt there's two systems of justice in the United States? Was Hillary Clinton prosecuted for the Russian hoax? Were, were those individuals who said, don't worry about the Biden, uh, the, the Biden laptop because it's just Russian disinformation, are they being prosecuted? No, only one person in America is being prosecuted for his political beliefs. And that should send a chill 
a warning to every single American who one day wants to get up and say, this is what I believe in. I disagree with the Biden administration, but these are the beliefs I have, because every person who does that now is subject to a potential criminal case. So for a while now, me and a few others have been saying that Jack Smith is investigating the 2020 election. And some of us have been making the case and putting forth the theory that the reason Trump worked so hard to call Jack Smith a madman and deranged and all of this stuff, a monster, is because Trump is working extra, 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 extra hard to make Jack Smith into a monster because Jack Smith is actually going to be the guy who exposes 2020 election fraud in a massive way. And he just did it. He just, he just set it up. He just teed that up because Trump is going to walk in there and say, I honestly, sincerely believe the election was stolen. There was significant fraud that needed to be investigated. It was a crisis. And here's why I believe that. And then he's going to tell him. In that indictment, nowhere in that indictment that we just read does it explain why Trump believed what he believed. None of that said anything about why Trump came to believe there was fraud. What the evidence of that was. I think Trump is going to very thoroughly explain to a jury and to the American people exactly why he believed there was so much fraud in 2020 election. And given the information that he had, it was his duty to exhaust all means of trying to get that election fraud investigated. It was his duty as president to do that, to make every legal effort possible. Trump's team has said already in the documents case that they are going to, one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to try and get this trial. They're going to try and get cameras in the courtroom. And right now cameras in the courtroom are forbidden by a, a, a federal statute, I believe. Uh, well, it'd have to be, I think it's a federal statute. And um, I think the Senate would have to get involved to change it. I think they would. I think that if there's anything out there that could get federal courtrooms to allow cameras, it would be a trial of a former president. I mean, it's very, I think, I just think they have to, they have to show it on TV. Uh, this has to be broadcast. The American people deserve to see the trial of a former president. Um, 
I I think Utah Money Mover says it's not a it's not a law, but it's a it's a it's a code and a policy. Yeah, that it's I, is it. I'm pretty sure the Senate has to vote to change it. Um. I'm pretty sure um, Supreme Court can give special permission for video coverage if deemed necessary. The Judicial Conference allows federal appellate courts to permit cameras and certain ones. Federal courts under the direction of the U.S. Judicial Conference have remained far more resistant with only experimental pilot programs, but not criminal criminal cases. Well, advocates trust this, blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right, DC prohibits televised coverage of all proceedings. Let's do. Yeah, it's the Senate. So, see, back in March, Grassley and Klobuchar introduced a bill to allow cameras in federal courts. They just got to do this again. Now that now that it has the potential to show Trump on trial. MAGA is going to want to see it and the swamp is going to want to see it. Right. Democrats are going to be like, yeah, we want to have, we want this on TV so the American people can see Trump get put away. But instead what the American people are going to see is Trump proving or at least making a case that this is why I believe it was stolen. And this is why I took the steps that I took. Uh, I see karma Patriot mentioning the FCC you're right. In March, um, FCC new laws as of March 2022 for campaign equal time. That's right. So there's going to have to be a discussion about um, how that equal time applies when it's a freaking federal court case. <laughs> Is the Biden campaign, if it exists at that time, going to say Trump get... Trump got to testify for three hours on the stand yesterday. Biden needs three more hours on TV. Like, <laughs> I wonder how it's going to work. But, um, yeah, so I think we have every reason to be really, really excited about this because of what Trump's lawyer is saying here. I also think we have good reason to be excited about this indictment because we just read it. And were any of you convinced that Trump is a criminal? Like this whole thing is based on hearsay and conjecture and associating Trump with what appear to be nefarious acts by Eastman and Clark and cheese, bro, not Rudy and Trump. So it seems it seems to me like this isn't this doesn't seem um this isn't this powerful indictment. I mean, I'm more I'm more impressed with the the documents case one. I think the documents case one has a much better chance of getting a conviction of Trump because because um I think I think a jury's eyes are kind of kind of going to kind of wax over or gloss. I think they're going to kind of like roll back in their head eventually when the federal government is trying to explain to them why all these documents were illegal for Trump to keep. And then Trump's lawyers are saying, no, this has to do with the 
Presidential Records Act. He had every right, blah, blah, blah. I think that whole thing is going to be difficult for a jury to digest and hold on to. And they're probably going to, I think they might struggle with it a bit. There's so many nuances to it. And you're talking about what is typically kind of boring stuff, which law applies to a former president and when it applies and what it covers and all these different documents, document, documents. The best thing that prosecution can do is to just get the jury to lock into this was national defense information marked highly classified and he took it to Mar-a-Lago with him. Like if they, they had the prosecution has to keep it very, very simple, I think, on that thing. But anyway, as far as the documents he kept, I think it, the jury's going to kind of struggle with that. But the obstruction, that's where they can, that's where I think the prosecution has the best chance in the documents case of getting Trump is obstruction, saying he didn't turn them over, he delayed turning them over, he asked for more time, and then when we came to get them, he had more. Like I think that's, that's where the jury is going to be is going to find that compelling pretty easily. The documents, though, I think are going to be difficult. Um, with this though, I mean, Trump can just claim First Amendment, and also, here was my information. Yeah, others said that this information was incorrect, but I also had this information coming to me. As president, it's my duty to make sure that there wasn't fraud um, that would alter the outcome of the election. So, and then I think with this other stuff, the um, the actions of Clark, Eastman, Cheesebro, I think that Trump's going to be able to say, I didn't tell him to do those things. I didn't tell him to do those things. I didn't direct them. I never, I never took up the special, the alternate elector thing. I didn't issue any documents or any directions having to do with that. So I'm not, I'm not worried about Trump or Rudy here. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about Sidney Powell either. Um, it's the rest of them that I am. So. But this one's in D.C., and Trump's going to definitely try and get it moved out of D.C. Uh, he he has to. And I, he he drew a judge that is maybe the worst judge um, that he could have drawn. She's an Obama appointee, and she's been giving out really harsh J6 sentences. So she's maybe the worst judge that he could have drawn for this. But I'm not bothered by that. I know a lot of people are, but... I want him to have a a judge where it seems like he's up against it. Um I I think um I, I want Trump to be I want it to be characterized, or at least I want it to be us to be able to characterize it as Trump is really up against this system because it makes his vict eventual victory that much better. Um another thing about Jack Smith. I don't know if Jack Smith is a white hat. Um, I just think that whether it's witting or unwitting, he set Trump and team up perfectly here to accomplish so many things <laughs> that we've been wanting them to accomplish. So the net, the net effect of it is, is good. 
And whether that's intentional by Jack Smith or not, I don't know, but I know what the net effect is. Um, but think about this, uh, like Rick Grinnell and others are working really, really hard to make Jack Smith into a monster. And one of the things they're doing, and also a bad prosecutor, and they're bringing up older Jack Smith cases and saying he got overturned here. He got overturned there. He did this thing. He did this sloppy case over here. They're doing, they're trying to make him seem like he's this horrible prosecutor who stretches things and, um, brings up these terrible cases. He's corrupt. And then SCOTUS has rule overruled him so many times, all this stuff. So I like that. I think we should look at that and be, um, kind of find some reassurance that Jack Smith is known for bringing indictments that later fall apart. You get what I'm saying? Like with Andrew Weissman on Mueller special counsel, Andrew Weissman was known as like this super creative prosecutor who could construct these charges and get a conviction. He was like this mean uh, pit bull of a prosecutor or something. Yet he couldn't indict Trump. All the stuff that the special, that the special counsel, Mueller special counsel did all the evidence they gathered, all the money they spent, all the people they interviewed, all, all of it. Still, someone as well-known and as capable as and creative as Andrew Weissman still couldn't get a charge against Trump. So it made his exoneration that much sweeter because he wasn't up against a prosecutor who was inept or inexperienced. He was up against a hatchet man, a killer. And even that guy couldn't get Trump. Now with Jack Smith, Trump is up against a guy whose reputation as circulated in conservative and corporate media and by Trump's team is a guy who's a monster, corrupt, wacko liberal Trump hater, and also his cases are known for getting thrown out. Seems like a good guy to pick to bring a case who you plan to have it fail, but in that process, you plan to use it to your advantage to introduce a bunch of evidence legally, right? So I don't think... I don't think complaining about Jack Smith is where it's at. I think we should be pretty happy Jack Smith is the special counsel. Just my thoughts on that. So. All right. That is the show for this evening. Thank you guys very much. Really appreciate y'all um, coming out tonight. This was a big audience and that's awesome. Hit the thumbs up button. If you want to support the show, links are in the description on Rumble. Red, white, and bourbon45.com has my merch. Benson Honey Farms or BensonHoneyFarms.com has the honey. Use rep code just human. And um, y'all have a y'all have a great evening and a great day tomorrow. I'll be on Devolution Power Hour tomorrow night and um Burning Bright. And uh John and I will will talk about this some more, I'm sure. 
and uh, we'll see what other information shows up. I'm looking forward to our discussion tomorrow. It's going to be pretty good. I'm kind of not looking forward to getting into the, um, kind of not looking forward to getting into talk about Mike Pence because Pence haters are some of the worst people to deal with. Sorry, no offense, but, uh, Pence haters are exhausting. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry guys, but y'all are, you're exhausting. Uh, but I think we're going to get into it. Um, there's no, there's no avoiding it. Pence is a patriot and him and Trump engaged in kayfabe that resulted in making our elections more secure by reforming the AC ECA to make it so that when Trump next wins, the Democrats can't throw out his electors. That was the whole plan, and it worked. It worked thanks to Trump playing the heel. Oh, it's so genius. It's so genius. Sometimes I wish everybody could see it, but if everybody saw it, it wouldn't have worked. So that's how it is. All right. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. We are going to win this war. Have a good one.